the World Wrestling Federation without Bret Hart is like uh, peanut butter without jelly. So I am uh, as much awaiting the return of Bret Hart as the fans of the World Wrestling Federation. To his gallbladder was actually endangering his life. The surgery, thankfully, was a success, but the future of one of the most promising young superstars in the WWF remains in question. Our colleague Kevin Kelly traveled to Ahmed's home in Houston, Texas today and filed this report. Look at this! I'll say it ain't so. Right and Undertaker just sat up! Why? Why is this going on? What? What has possessed? Paul Bear! Everything he said. Undertaker's out of it. Oh, what? Oh, stop that. Stop that. That's hideous. Welcome everyone to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Today we go back in the time machine to August 1996 to look at all things WWF here on Volume 1. Volume 2, split across two parts this month, is our WCW show. Volume 3, we'll be looking at all things ECW. But here it is um, WWF time with my guest, Mr. Bob Bamba. Hello, Bob. Good evening. Nice to be with you. And we also have Mr. Steve Harborson. Steve, how are we? Hey, I'm very good, thank you. Very nice to hear it, gents. Um, so, um, we, our main focus today will be the uh, SummerSlam pay-per-view, but there'll be one or two other things to talk about as well. Um, kick us off with the news, please, gents. Okay, we kick off with two big news stories uh, away from the ring this month. The first of these is the WWF are planning on bringing in weekly pay-per-views. Uh, you hear that right? Weekly pay-per-views. At present, the plans are to hold the hour-long events live on a Saturday uh, at midnight, although these will be pre-recorded on a Friday. That's also been discussed. Uh, the events will take place in addition to all the current pay-per-view events that are currently uh, on the slate, uh, with a starter price of $9.95. The new show could begin as early as next month, although at the time of recording, the WWF are struggling to find cable carriers willing to host these broadcasts. The second major development this month is that of a deal being agreed for Bret Hart to return to the WWF. Vincent Mann met Hart at his home in Calgary to thrash out the terms and at present he is being earmarked to appear at either the September or October pay-per-view. Having said that, no new formal contract has yet been signed, so despite Brett continuing to appear on pre-scheduled overseas dates for WWF, an official offer from WCW at this point cannot be ruled out, with the possibility of some acting gigs to try and help lure him across. A very real injury was suffered by Ahmed Johnson at the hands of uh, Varouk on the July 29th Raw. An errant kick caused internal bleeding to one of Johnson's kidneys, and urgent surgery was required. He is expected to be out for several months. Footage of the surgery was shown on the August 12th Raw, as was an interview with a clearly distressed Johnson. 
which you'll be able to hear later on in the show. The injury had a major impact on both single titles as Ahmed was forced to relinquish his Intercontinental title, which has now been held up for a eight-man tournament, and his shot at the WWF title, which had been planned for August the 19th Raw, has also had to be canned. Ahmed Johnson was also due to, due to face Farouk at the SummerSlam pay-per-view. The event held in Cleveland, Ohio on August the 18th was met with very tepid reviews, especially given its status as the WWF's second biggest show of the year. In the main event, Shawn Michaels successfully defended the WWF title against Vader in a match that was restarted twice after Vader originally won by DQ and then later Countout. Prior to this, Mankind defeated The Undertaker in the first ever Boiler Room Brawl after Paul Bearer turned heel on his long-time compadre. There are also wins on the card for Owen Hart, Smoking Guns, Sid, Goldust and Jerry the King Lawler. And the ratings news. Uh, on the 29th of July, WWF polled a 2.1 to WCW's 3.1. On the 5th of August, it was a 2.8 against a 3.0. On the 12th of August, it was a 2.0 against a 3.3. And on the 19th of August, it was a 2.9 against a 3.5. There was no roar on the 26th of August, thanks to the US Open. Earlier today, Kevin Kelly had an occasion to chat with the WWF champion. Sean, we saw you recently get back jumped by mankind. And of course, the punishment that you suffered at the hands of Vader at the international incident. Given all the recent circumstances, all the things that have been happening to you, do you feel at this time that your world is beginning to crumble in around you? Well, I think that uh, there's some people that might say my world crumbling down around me might be a little melodramatic, but uh, I certainly am facing uh, adversity, but um, in the past, Shawn Michaels has dealt with and come through uh, when dealing adversity, so I think at times like this is when I'm uh, my strongest. I've never told anybody I was unbeatable. I've never said I was invincible. Shawn Michaels, the heartbreak kid, is like every guy walking the street. It just so happens that I'm a superstar in the World Wrestling Federation. This is the way that I make my living. Uh, I can be beaten on any given night. I freely admit I uh, felt the Vader bomb. He beat me. But uh, at SummerSlam, he's going to have to face me one-on-one. And uh, I'm never out there alone. I've got the click behind me, Jose Lothario in my corner. And like I said, as long as I have that with me, I can take on anybody. Sean, when you face Vader at SummerSlam, you're going to be giving up over 200 pounds of weight. Certainly this is a big disadvantage. Is this the match where the boyhood dream now becomes a nightmare? Are the odds stacked against me? Yes, they are. Do I have a tough fight on my hands? Yes, I do. Going into the match, there are always concerns. Uh, and any time you step in the ring, there's, and for me, there's a great, a great many concerns. There's a fear of getting hurt. There's a fear of, uh, you know, more importantly, losing World Wrestling Federation title. I can't emphasize enough how much being World Wrestling Federation champion uh, means to me and has brought to my life. And there are a number of people that may think that's awfully shallow, but I've waited for a long, long time to be the World Wrestling Federation champion. And I've waited for a long time to enjoy my life as the World Wrestling Federation Champion. But the fact of the matter is, to beat Shawn Michaels, you have to beat me and all the people that are behind him. And so far, there hasn't been any superstar in the World Wrestling Federation that can do that when it comes to the World Wrestling Federation title being on the line. Ever since you defeated Bret Hart at WrestleMania, um, many of your critics have claimed that the victory over Bret Hart, while an impressive one, was maybe a little tainted the overtime in the Iron Man matchup. Bret Hart has spoken on several occasions about 
possibly coming back in the near future. Do you have any words for Bret Hart? Well, for Bret Hart, I hope that he does return to the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, the World Wrestling Federation without Bret Hart is like uh, peanut butter without jelly. So I am uh, as much awaiting the return of Bret Hart as the fans of the World Wrestling Federation. And as far as the critics and the way I won the World Wrestling Federation title, well, they're critics. That's what critics do. They criticize you. So I'm, uh, I'm certainly used to that, and it's something that you are going to get no matter how well or how badly you do this job. As the World Wrestling Federation champion, everybody's going to take their shots at you. Now, Sean, later on tonight at Raw is the Raw Invitational Battle Royal. The winner of the Battle Royal gets a shot at the WWF champion the day after SummerSlam. Any thoughts? Well, that's it. that situation, to me, personifies why I'm the only guy in the World Wrestling Federation that can be the WWF champion, because I just don't think there's another superstar in the WWF that could take on this schedule, that could go out there at SummerSlam, face a 450-pound man, and then be asked to face another top-notch superstar in the World Wrestling Federation the next night on top of the schedule that I already have. And Vader, make no bones about it, he is one tough customer. But the next night, he could possibly lose that title on Raw. World Wrestling Federation is filled with very competent superstars, but there's one shining star above all the rest, and I like to think that it's me. The first Raw of the month begins with Jerry Lawler versus Aldo Montoya. He offers Aldo a bottle of Jim Beam, or Jake Roberts' tag team partner, as he calls it. Lawler wins and afterwards shoves the bottle down Aldo's throat. The new and improved Rockers attack their opponents, the Body Donners, before their match. A picture-in-picture is shown of Grilla Monsoon reinstating Clarence Mason's climb. This will be crush. A good TV contest ends with the smoking guns interfering. The Godwins then run in and the babyfaces clean house. Kevin Kelly conducts a sit-down interview with Shawn Michaels. Shawn says he's facing adversity, but at SummerSlam against Vader, he will have the click behind him. And with them, he can achieve anything. Kelly then asks HBK if he has any words for Bret Hart. The WWF without Bret Hart is like peanut butter without jelly. Nobody else in the WWF can take on the schedule that Michaels does, and he alone is the, quote, one shining star above the rest. The main event is the Raw Invitational Battle Royal to determine the number one contender for the WWF title on the August the 19th Raw. The Undertaker charges to the ring, quite a sight that is, and goes straight after Mankind. They eliminate each other and brawl all around the arena throughout the match. The final four are Ahmed, Goldust, Sid and Austin. The eliminated Bulldog and Owen re-emerge and distract Sid long enough for Austin to jump in from behind and send him packing. Ahmed and Goldust team up to dump Austin to the floor. Ahmed charges Goldust near the ropes. Both men tumble over the top, but Ahmed manages to hook his legs around the ropes as Goldust falls out. Ahmed wins. Farouk interrupts Ahmed's celebration interview and they have a pull-apart brawl as we go off the air. We get a cold open on the 12th of August with Vince McMahon voicing over a piece on the very real injury to Ahmed Johnson sustained at the hands of Farouk. Our first match is Farouk, who with an audibly angry Vince calls a thug against Skip. Farouk wins with a devastating looking inverted front power slam. 
Clarence Mason introduces the returning crush. He's dressed in ripped street clothes to get over the jailbird gimmick. Mason tells us Crush was never convicted of the weapons charged against him. Mason's guest commentary is more fun than the match here, which Crush wins against Savio Vega with a full Nelson. Sonny can't find any clothes to wear for the Bikini Beach blast-off. You don't obviously see that, obviously. Lawler offers to help in his usual chivalrous way. We see real footage of the surgery to Ahmed Johnson's ruptured kidney. Ahmed tells Kevin Kelly the physical pain is nothing compared to the mental pain. Doctors have informed him that if the bleeding persists, his kidney might need to be removed. Ahmed seems legitimately close to tears. The Godwins beat T.L. Hopper and who? Bob Backlund campaigns throughout the match. Monsoon tells us that the severity of Ahmed's injury, the Intercontinental title will now be vacant. The tournament will begin next week on Raw to crown a new champion. Mr. Perfect interviews Bret Hart aboard the Wrestle Vessel. Bret hopes that whatever happens people are happy with his accomplishments he loves being at home and is going to take time to make his decision regarding coming back to the WWF he is extremely non-committal here our go home main event is Shawn Michaels against Owen Hart Michaels wins a typically great TV contest after two super kicks afterwards Shawn eventually succumbs to the interfering Vader Vader hits two Vader bombs then we go off the air with him teasing a moonsault into his gallbladder was actually endangering his life. The surgery, thankfully, was a success, but the future of one of the most promising young superstars in the WWF remains in question. Our colleague Kevin Kelly traveled to Ahmed's home in Houston, Texas today and filed this report. First off, Ahmed, I want to thank you for allowing me to come into your home and to take this time to talk to you. Um, Everybody is very worried about you. We've heard a lot of things about your medical condition. At this moment, right now, how are you feeling? Well, you know what? I can always ignore the physical pain. This isn't the first time I've been in physical pain. It's more the mental pain that's playing the game with me right now. The mental pain hurts worse than anything in my life right now. It's mental pain. Ahmed, what symptoms did you have that alerted you to call for help and eventually require emergency surgery? Well, I guess it started when I was laying in bed at night at the hotel, and um, it's like my insides were just turning flips and, and my whole side and stomach area just felt like it was turning ice cold. And at that point, I, I knew then there was something wrong. What exactly have the doctors told you is the injury? What exactly happened to your kidney? <sighs> what happened to my kidney was when I got kicked in my kidney. By Farouk? By Farouk. It somewhat burst my kidney. And then being in about a row after that didn't help matters any, but gold dust and, and stone coast he lost and everybody else kicking me all in my kidneys and everything it didn't help any just made the tear a little wider than what it was Did the doctors ever say that there was a chance of losing the kidney well yeah doctors told me um, so far it's just bleeding and if it doesn't start bleeding then uh, from my understanding they're going to have to take my kidney out basically. have you thought about your future if you're no longer able to compete in the WWF? I, I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know if I'll ever be able to perform again. I, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to be at my highest point again in my life. I, I don't know right now. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to defend that Intercontinental title or the world title. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to defend that ever again in my life. So I really want to answer that question. 
And we come out of our TV reviews there. Before we tackle our, our big event, which is SummerSlam, just want to have a brief chat uh, about uh, the injury suffered to Ahmed Johnson, um, primarily because uh, it meant, as we heard in the news, that both singles titles plans for those had to be uh, uh, heftily rearranged. And uh, Steve, it's uh, it's a bit of a vicious irony, really. Every time we've talked about Ahmed Johnson on this podcast, we've talked about uh, these, let's say, possible propensities for injuring uh, opponents. And here, he's fallen victim to... Uh, nothing more vexatious than uh, a kick to the back, which has put him out of action for a considerable amount of months, and has led to all plans are having to be changed. It's uh, regardless of what you think of him, it's uh, it's very unfortunate. Do you agree? Oh yeah, definitely. Because when we saw that interview, um, I mean, he was you know clearly distressed. Let's put it that way. Um, I, it, the booking plans have gone out the out the window. Um, I think um, you know. <laughs> To say that some of the some of the, the matches on SummerSlam were hastily rearranged, you know, you could see that on the night, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. But getting back to Johnson himself, I mean, I don't particularly think he's the greatest thing. That's clearly they do. Clearly, the federation, you know, have big sort of plans for him, and they and Vince McMahon thinks that he's, you know an absolute superstar. I mean, I wouldn't agree with any of that, but no one wants to see um, anyone getting injured. And he was just on the verge there, I felt, that, you know, he'd probably have, have, have a big match at SummerSlam. You know, he had that title shot lined up the, the day after. Now, whether he won any of the belts sort of is irrelevant, really. Um, the fact that he was groomed and he was in those positions, you know, clearly they had big plans for him. That's gone out the window and so have, you know, other plans as well as a result. Sort of almost like a deck of cards has fell because of his injury. What do you reckon, Bob? Yeah, I mean, very, very clear, as, as, as you kind of alluded to, that he is, you know, one of the guys they're most high on right now. He's a guy that's been pushed in um, quite hard ever since he really debuted, but certainly in the last few months, you know, we in the Intercontinental title a couple of months back now, I think. Um, and then, you know, even winning that Battle Royal and being in the main event of the, the In Your House in July as well, like, he's clearly... Uh, you know, maybe not number two, number three, babyface. You know, Bret Hart's in that mix, Undertaker's sort of in that mix. But he, he's of the of the full time guys. He might be the next guy behind Sean, um, and clearly quite popular for a company that hasn't always done very well at getting over an African American star. He is, you know, in that slot, and seemingly was doing quite a good job. Um, and I think, as you say, Rory, we, you know, we, we, we spent months and months worrying about Armour Johnson injuring someone. Then along comes Ron Simmons, kicks him in the side, and that's it. Um, not ideal. I hope he's okay. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I think when you're the WWF and when you're Vincent Mann, you've got this propensity to push such a, a small proportion of your overall audience. You can't really afford for one of your two, one of your main, half a dozen guys to go down injured uh, and it sounds like a lost army for a while definitely <clears throat> there is no doubt in my mind whatsoever that he was on a, a hot shot to the WWF title I don't think it was going to be on the August 19th Raw whoever that would have ended up being whether plans changed because of that injury we don't know we, we can discuss that a bit a bit later on but he would have been WWF champion very very soon we might not have taken it from Sean but he would have taken it from somebody and I think that is why the WWF are making such a huge thing about this injury. Um, I could have seen him winning the 97 Royal Rumble. Yep, exactly. Yep, and um, winning the title therefore at WrestleMania. Yep, I could see that happening. Absolutely, definitely. I think that would be 
or would have been quite the crowning achievement, and uh, it would send out a very positive, powerful message as well. However, that doesn't look like it's going to be happening anytime soon, although we don't have an over-under on his return. And as we stated earlier, the, the thing that makes it so important and why they are so high on him is that he was in, the, in play for both singles titles. He was Intercontinental Champion. They've had to hastily arrange a tournament for that one. And he had at least a TV shot up at WWF Championship. Would not have been his last one, I can guarantee you. Um, so it just goes to show that they probably were, they wouldn't admit it, but putting all their eggs in one basket for this guy. And uh, as Steve said, the House of Cards has come tumbling. It's very unfortunate. It's very sad. As you heard the interview just now, he, he's clearly, clearly desperately upset and clearly saddened about it. And it's a serious injury. I mean, something is uh, simple to... to want of a better word than just a kick to the back should cause such a, a devastating injury. It really does go to show. And uh, for all our all our regular complaints and uh, picking up of his faults, which I think are very much uh, justified, I do hope that he comes back soon. The monsters. They wear many masks in our world. Some are deranged, psychotic beings, unaware of the insanity that festers within. Others are brutal, ruthless assailants, executioners of a sinister plan. The Monster Slayers. They too are varied and unique. Shawn Michaels yields 200 pounds to the beast known as Vader. But he counters with guile, superb athleticism, and the courage of a gallant champion. And then there's The Undertaker. The mysterious light in a world of darkness. To exorcise the demon mankind, he cannot rely upon convention. In this cold, unforgiving battleground, he must embrace the horror to defeat it. For the monsters to be abolished, David must slay Goliath. The Reaper must claim another damned soul. But good doesn't always triumph over evil. Sometimes victory eludes heroics. Sometimes the horror lives on. Okay, we are now going to move into the big event of the month, which was SummerSlam. Rob, or Bob even, <laughs> take us through what happened, mate. It's been about 15 years since someone called me Rob. <laughs> little, little scamp that you are. Yeah, something like that. All right. Uh, yeah, in the dark match, Stone Cold Steve Austin defeated Yokozuna on the main card itself. Uh, that's probably a free-for-all, actually. Uh, main card itself, Owen Hart defeated Savio Vega. The Smoking Guns defeated the Body Donners, the New Rockers, and the Godwins in a four-way tag team elimination match for the WWF tag team titles. Psycho Sid defeated the British Bulldog. Goldust defeated Mark Merrow. Jerry Law defeated Jake Roberts. Mankind defeated The Undertaker with Paul Bearer, not for much longer, in a boiler room brawl. And in the main event, Shawn Michaels defeated Vader for the WWF Championship in a match that was restarted twice. Steve, your thoughts on SummerSlam 1996? Uh, for me, it was a uh, match, uh, sorry, a card of one match, which was the main event. Um, everything else was um, pretty poor, including, I felt, the Boiler Room Brawl, which I know we'll talk about more. Um, I know a lot of people quite enjoyed the Boiler Room Brawl. I didn't. Um, and there was nothing else, no other match that you wouldn't have seen on one of the in-your-house pay-per-views. Um, you know, this is meant to be 
the second biggest pay-per-view of the year and it didn't feel like it until it was main event time. Um, really disappointing. Again, how much of the of it is because of Ahmed Johnson's in, injury, they had to change plans, but I mean, they didn't have to change every single match on the card. You know, some, you know, some of the matches were already scheduled and it was no different from, uh, as I say, from one of the sort of bi-monthly in-your-house pay-per-views. There was nothing special about it until we got to uh, the main event, which I absolutely loved, by the way. I thought the the, the, uh, the main event was, was great. Um, and, you know, it was uh, a, a good main event, poor overall card. Bob? I don't know whether, you know, me not, yeah, you know, originally not being on the show at all and, and, and therefore not being in the the mindset of having to sit down in front of SummerSlam and take a full set of, uh, of notes, such as how late I kind of came to do this show. Maybe I was just in a bit more of a mindset of let's just sit here and pick holes in the show. Um, but I thought it was the most bizarre 90 minutes of uh, of an opening pay-view I can recall in a very long time. Um, but it was, as we saw in the opening package, it was a two-match show. The final two matches were, you know, 27 and 29 minutes. Um, the Boiler and Brawl, I, I kind of agree with Steve. I think there was just about enough going for it and there was just about enough novelty value where they got away with it. Um, but there was a lot of, you know, just kind of quite gratuitous brawling. Um, and there was also shock. A lot of mankind trying to kill himself. Um but, you know, nobody's surprised there. In a thing that I think... What was that pre-tape, that Boiler and Brawl it was, wasn't it? Uh, yep, uh, the, all the Boiler Room segments took place the day before the event. That's right. Um, and then the main event... It's weird, like, I I quite like the booking that they did, but I kind of felt it actually kind of affected the match. In the, the story they tried to tell was really quite good, but I kind of felt like it impacted on Vader and Sean really having a good match. Um, yeah, weird-ass card, though, and barely saved by the final two matches. Let's just sit here and pick holes. Are you are you new here, Bob? Well, <laughs> well I have to, I have to be a bit more impartial when I put together the full notes. I have to pay attention. I can't just sit there and go that shit, that shit, that shit. Um, uh, you don't think that I'm going to say then? There uh, were a couple. There were a couple of batches on this car where I was very much just doing that. Yes, absolutely. Um, and even if if I've been handed the card before watching this event, I could pretty much guess what they are. And when we get to them, um, we'll prove it was right. Um. For two hours, I was completely zoned out. Um, I'm with you, Steve. This didn't feel like SummerSlam at all. No, um, not at all. No, no. Uh, but the thing which was uh, a bit strange, I don't know whether you sort of uh, agree with this, but did the WWF have, have shares in the Gundarina? Did they, did they put money into the Gundarina? We seem to have like a Gundarina tribute at the beginning um, of, of, of the show. You know, what was uh, that all about? I think I'm right in saying that you... you I think you could be right there. I mean, the Gundarina is... Was only recently built. I want to say off the top of my head, maybe WWF had some percentage points in there. I can't confirm that at this point. But uh, yeah, it's seemed that way, didn't it? You know, they seem to be really sort of like quite proud of the fact that you know, yeah, we're here at the Gundarina and the Gundar. It's you know, right? Okay, great, brilliant. I think they were just clinging to relevance, weren't they? They were just trying to. Yeah. And it was a very impressive setting. I mean, there's 18,000 there, and uh, the first camera pan shot was, was fantastic. Yeah, it was it huge, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. This is SummerSlam. But um, it took it took two hours for me to remember that it was watching SummerSlam. There were irrelevant matches with very little going on, with even less riding on them. 
with even less further actually happening in them, um, the WWF themselves were clearly only concerned about uh, the final two matches. And by and large, the crowd were as well. We'll get to that. Those final two matches, and I think we've already proved it a little bit here, I think the phrase split opinion is going to be coming up quite a lot when these ones are discussed. Um, Boiler Room Brawl was... What's a happening, as dear old Gorilla would say. Uh, whether it was something I want to see happen again is uh, is another another story. And the main event, uh, I'm with you, Bob. It was hampered by the booking. Some of the work that the two of them did was magnificent. Uh, but I, I was, the thing I remember about the event now is uh, the fact that the match was restarted twice. And that's really not how it should be, in my opinion. But we will get there when we get there. Um, brief, Just very briefly about um, uh, about the three or four. There's very little to discuss. Um Stone Cold Steve Austin defeated Yokozuna in less than two minutes after Yoko uh, went for a banzai drop and he pulled the top rope off. Do you think they're trying to tell you something, Rodney? Uh, and there was also a beach bikini something that took place, um, which uh, the various, the lovely ladies of the WWF walking around in bikinis and hanging around in a, uh, well, a big, a big swimming pool, I thought you described it. Although it was obviously backstage. It didn't exactly look like Beverly Hills. You know, there were... <laughs> <laughs> there was bits of corrugated iron and people walking around behind them, um, which ended after T.O. Hopper rescued a chocolate bar, inverted commas, from the bottom of the pool. <sighs> WWF humour, eh? <laughs> I feel like I've really missed out as in this free-for-all. <laughs> but, and, you know, what, what else would possibly compel you to buy a pay-per-view that comedy like that? I know, nothing, nothing. Bit of soft pornography, bit of comedy, there you go, I'm in, take my money. <laughs> and if you have done that, you would be greeted by a very impressive black and white video package. Uh, again, talking about the first two matches, uh, <laughs> might as well be the first two matches, the final two matches, because they were the only ones worth bothering about. The key line here from these from our voiceover man is, David must beat Goliath, and the Reaper must claim another damn soul. As I said earlier, we get a, a camera pan of the, of the arena, which looks very, very impressive. On commentary, we've got Vince, JR, and Mr. Perfect. Savio Vega's music kicks into a very tepid reaction. Owen Hart's gets a very noticeable pop. He is still selling that arm injury when trying to hold his Slammy Award. JR's line, he could have had a bone marrow transplant by now. <laughs> so out of nowhere, we get our first match, which is Savio Vega versus Owen Hart. Vince McMahon draws attention to the absence from ringside of Jim Cornette. More on that in a sec. Owen tries to hit Savio with his car straight away, but Tim White stops him. A decent-sized Owen chant goes up at this point. Savio rams Owen's arm into the buckles a few times and locks in an armbar. Both guys miss dives, and then we get a picture-in-picture of Cornette geeing up Vader for his title match, which I think is a really good touch. Savio is still holding an armbar at this point. Bring along something to read. After a monkey flip, he does the same again. He finally decides to do something different with a roll-up for two, but he then does the Ken Patera charge to the ring post and Owen mercifully takes control. He actually works Savio's arm with some great dungeon-approved holds, including a beautiful divorce court, from which, gets, which gets him a two-count. Uh, Savio tries to bite his way out of another hold, but Owen ties his arm around the top two ropes. Clarence Mason walks down to ringside. Savio misses a spin kick, but hits a body press. Owen rallies after this, and then hits What a Maneuver by Owen Hart which we all call an Enziguri Vince. He gets two off that one. He then gets the, goes for the flare pin and gets two there. And the same again from that beautiful leg lariat that he does. Uh, he then hits a sidewalk... Uh, sorry, Savio then hits a sidewalk slam for two. Owen counters with the... really getting behind him. He hits a wonderful missile drop kick and gets 2.999. 
He then teases a moonsault, but sadly Savio breaks it up. He goes for a side suplex, but as he lands, he hits his head on Owen's cast. Owen takes off his cast and whacks Savio in the head with it. I mean, right in front of Tim White, how he missed that, I do not know. Savio is then knocked out. So what does Owen do? He puts him in the sharpshooter, of course. <laughs> JR says, you don't need to do that. <laughs> Owen then gets a stoppage victory, and the crowd cheer him to the rafters. And you know what? Quite right, too. Clarence Mason then joins Owen Hart in the ring to celebrate. Um, before we finish this, Justin Hawk Bradshaw comes out, and he shouts at Vince that he will send Vega, and I quote, back to that island. Mm. He then clubs Savio Vega in the aisleway as we fade to black. Uh, your thoughts on this one, Bob? Owen Hart's meant to have a wrist injury, right? It's wrist or lower arm, correct? I, I, think, I think it's wrist. I think it's wrist too. So why in the first five minutes of this match was Savio Vega working the shoulder and the tricep? Because Savio Vega? Otherwise I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I, I know the idea is, is that, well, the audience is simple enough. Savio work his arm. But you've got to work the bit of the arm that's actually meant to be hurt. I mean, we know it's not. But that's the gimmick. He, he works a load of, you know, kind of arm wrenches, which work the shoulder. And then he got into the mat and he bent his arm back and pulled, you know, kind of stretched out the tricep. That was the, the idea there. And I'm thinking, okay, I think his shoulder's fine. I think his tricep's fine. What about his wrist? Um, and I, point number two, I have three in this one. Point number two was Savio Vega is one of the most boring, technically correct wrestlers I have ever watched. Gotcha. Despite being perfectly well trained, he offers absolutely nothing as a wrestler for me anyway. And point number three, Owen Hart's wearing a cast. We're assuming the cast is a legal weapon during the match. So one, why would it be an illegal shot? And two, how would it hurt more than hitting with a cast and it on his arm? He takes the cast off. It's just a hollow bit of, you know, plasterboard, whatever you want to call it. Um, plaster of Paris, whatever it is. It takes the cast off and then hits Savio over the head. Why not just hit him in the head? Surely <laughs> the cast crush your arm will cause more impact than the cast on its own. The ref's looking at this and doesn't call a DQ, so obviously it's legal. Um, and then, yeah, uh, th- this, this was very much me in fucking hell, what's going on with this show? I can't enjoy it so far. And there are a couple of other matches that are like this too. <laughs> why, Bob, why didn't Owen just use a shoe? <laughs> what, you mean, and take it off and load it like Raven does? Um, yes, and that would be all, th- all three, uh, all three promotions then using shoe gimmicks. Um, one is more than enough, thanks. <laughs> uh, Steve, what do you reckon? Uh, yeah, you know, I, <laughs> maybe it was a loaded cast. They never made that clear. You know, he should have something built, something built into the cast. Maybe <laughs> they, they, they need to make it clear. I think, but clearly they've got big plans for Owen. I think based on this match, based on the reaction, based on um, you know, Savio Vega. No, no. Well, yeah. Forget about that. Forget. The, the reaction he got from the crowd, the fact that Mason now is getting, you know, are we going to maybe have a splinter group? Is Mason going to maybe take uh, Owen and the Bulldog? Have they got big plans for Owen, do you think? Do you think maybe, you know, we want to mention that Brett might come back um, sooner rather than later? You know, do we get a Brett-Owen uh, round, you know, round two or or not? I, I just felt that maybe they were Owen... They're putting him up there, I think, and and you know whether it's for for a, a face turn or whether it's for um, putting him into the next sort of uh, bracket of, of superstar. What what do you think of that? I'd be I'd be all over that, quite frankly. Um, I think the I think the crowd are ready for 
an Owen face turn. I, I don't see it happening at this point. I've got to be honest. Um, I think the crowd would just getting behind Owen because he's so damn good in the ring, quite frankly. But yeah, true. And and you know, as we say, Vegas, you know, just like a sponge, you know, when it comes to charisma. Um, and and the other great thing I loved about this was at the end with the referee um, raised Owen's arm. And he raised the arm with the cast on, and Owen sort of winced and said, "Oh, watch me arm," you know, just <laughs> selling the injury to the end. I love that. I thought that was a great touch. Owen is a master in the particular heel role he plays. The thing I like about Owen, the character, is he's he's not the sort of person who would steal your dinner money, but if he found out your dinner money was stolen, he would rib you about it in the dinner queue every day for a month. <laughs> That's what I like about him. And plus the fact he's a he's a damn awesome worker as well. And yes, you both alluded to it, and you're quite right. I mean. I could be the most despicable heel who couldn't work a lick. I'd be cheered over Savio Vega, I'd like to think. Yeah, yeah. He brings nothing but spin kicks, and even they look quite rubbish. Because um, I think the crowd were there. They were hot. They wanted to see some good wrestling, and you know that Owen Hart is going gonna, is gonna to bring that. I get the thing we're going to be talking about is quite a lot as, as the months go on. Um, I talked about it in the WCW show last month. This was a broomstick match, and Owen got three stars out of a broomstick who... Yeah. Can do a three spin. stars? Three, uh, three stars all... What, would you go out, out, out of how many numbers? <laughs> Call it Owen Hart bias, if you will. All, all, if I was going to Owen Hart, I'd probably just give it five stars because I'm, I'm, I'm a complete mark for the guy. Um, nothing much to talk about, but I hope that they... Even if they don't out and out turn in face, that the powers that be listen to the pop that Owen Hart got. Let him be... The man in the ring, we can be. Put him in with someone. Put him in with someone. We talked about it a few months ago. Give him a B pay-per-view run with, with Sean. That's two pay-per-view main events, which will both be cracking. Just don't waste him with scrubs like Savio. He'll do his best in there. But, um, I, I think it's, pre- it's pretty clear they don't see that much. In no, they don't. He's, <laughs> he's a mechanic. He's a good hand. And I... It really does pain me to say it. it gives me awful pain in my wrist, actually. But um, uh, I just don't see him going beyond mid-card level, and that is a bloody shame. Speaking of bloody shame, here's Todd Pettengill. He is in the he is in a totally freaky boiler room. We hopefully learn that. And our direct quote: "There are things in there." Ooh, scary. <laughs> he finds mankind, who tells us there is no place like home. Take this simple warning, dead man: do not come in here. We go back to the ring for the Tag Team Championship four-team elimination match between the Champions and Smoking Guns, the Godwins, the Body Donners, and the new and improved Rockers, as we must now call them. During the Godwins' introduction, Vince actually shouts, Sui, where's your dignity, man? <laughs> he then says this, the greatest non-sequitur I think I've ever heard. This is, again, a verbatim quote. The hogs are squealing, it must be SummerSlam. <laughs> But of course. Okay. Two men start, and once contact has been made, they can tag anyone they choose. Once one man on the team gets eliminated, the whole team is out. Uh, we start off with uh, Billy Gunn and uh, Henry Godwin. Other than that, Henry Godwin wheelbarrow slam, and nothing else happens until we get to against Phineas. Uh, both baby faces, of course, so what do they do? They, of course, tag a member of the guns each. So Billy supposedly has to face Bart. The baby faces jump off the apron to prevent them tagging, and then, then Sip just walks back, walks back up onto the apron so Bart can tag him. Well, that was a bit pointless. Uh, Zip then gets pinned after Janetti trips him on the outside. Yep, that got a three count. So there go the Donners. I should say that Skip was legitimately injured at this point. He was wearing a neck brace, but uh, they could have found a better elimination than that. 
Uh, Leif Cassidy gets in, he works on Henry. Uh, Marty Gennetti then tags in and he dominates. Uh, a lot of quickfire tags at this point. Uh, Leaf then accidentally closed on Billy. The Rockers then accidentally hit Billy again after that. Henry gives Marty a slop drop and he's gone. So we are down to the Godwins versus the Guns. I think we all knew that was going to happen. Uh, we get a double down after Henry clothesline Bart. Another fantastic line on commentary from JR. The Godwins' biggest fan, Bill Clinton, is celebrating his birthday today, Vince. Vince completely no-sells that one. <laughs> Billy in, he calls Henry a big sissy. Ooh, zing. We then get tons more heel tags, and again, absolutely nothing happens, and the crowd don't give a toss. They briefly perk up when Henry hits a desperation power slam. He then gets the mild tag, Phineas in with his crap offense and that stupid mule kick. He gives Billy the slop drop and goes for the three count, but the ref is distracted by Hillbilly Jim trying to stop Sonny. While this is going on, Bart hits a forearm off the top, Billy covers, the ref turns around and gets the three count. The smoking guns retain. Absolute shite. Uh, what do you reckon, Steve? Uh, yeah, absolute shite. <laughs> it was garbage. The rules for this match were just ridiculous. And why the guns... I mean, could they not just have pinned each other? I don't know. Maybe they would have lost the titles to... I, I don't know I how that would have worked. that's what we were supposed to think. But yeah, but it's just stupid. And it's just you know, it's poorly sort of thought through, poorly laid out. These elimination matches, when they're like this and they're not properly sort of laid out and presented, the, as you say, the body done a skip, he, he, he had an injury. But why is it in these type of situations the weakest of, of, of moves results in a pin? You know, it's just like, you know, a, a, a hit from behind. Oh, one, two, three, it's out. So they're, they're never really sort of laid out quite well. Um, and there's a, there was a bit in uh, on commentary where Vince um, says that Ginetti was a former tag champion with Shawn Michaels. I don't think this has ever been acknowledged before on, on WWF TV. Mm. I, did, I, I didn't think... I mean, I left my history sort of... Uh, I'm trying to sort of think back, but I don't think we ever um, had that on TV, did we? The Rockers winning the, the, um, the tag belts. But, I mean, Vince has said it now. It's, uh, has that now become... Part of the uh, of, of the record books, I don't know. It's probably we all forgot. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That 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 tag team match, if he's referring to the one I think he is, that match, that two out of three falls against the Heart Foundation. Yeah, I don't think it was ever televised, was it? Never aired on television. No. <laughs> the rope broke. Exactly. Yeah, but you know what? Again, Vince, he seems to be a bit all over the place on the, on on commentary during the whole event. But this sort of line which he added was a bit strange, and he had a couple of times like that during the show I don't know but anyway the tag match was, was garbage and um, you know the quicker it out the way the better really totally agree Bob uh, to read you a slightly protracted version of my notes from this match and you know th- this is what you get from me when I don't have to actually write down what happens I've got the following crossovers are shit tag rules are stupid why are all these teams so awful I'd say the Rockers deserve more if they weren't so awful crowd is dead <laughs> distraction finish sigh <laughs> that, that, is, that is basically a summation of my thoughts on this match. Like, Beautiful, horrendous. Like <laughs> it might not win match of the year. It probably shouldn't. It never been worse. But it, like it needs to be in the discussion. And all the teams are so bad. Just like you know, I I don't know if I even feel sorry for Al Snow. Like they're all so bad. You all kind of deserve each other. And like you, you kind of. You know, not that WCW haven't got their own faults in the tag team division. It's like the Steiners, Harlem Heat, Luger and Sting, the Nasty Boys, the Public Enemy, 
properly decent tag teams. Pro- at least tag teams that have some redeeming features. And this shower of shit comes out. Um, like I'd have beaten them all and then just never shown any of the teams on TV again. <laughs> Do you think this is the worst it's ever been in the tag division? I, I don't think I'll be watching long enough to know, but it, you know, I mean, it's never been great. I mean, never, never the time we've been doing the show. You think I, about yeah. Men on a Mission, you know they were they were pretty poor, but this now, you know, this is this is poor, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, since the Quebecers went, the Quebecers were quite good. Oh, okay, since they went, we've kind of chucked together some tea. Yeah, it's been shit, hasn't it? Um, yeah, uh, it's just just horrendous. Or, or like, I we'll, we'll come on to the post match stuff in a sec because there is a promo that I think Rory will get to. And there's also yep. a very very bizarre video that airs after this too that we'll come on to. But there's. You know, when they did the promo at the end, I was convinced the new team were going to debut. I was convinced. I thought, t- tag team, four-way match, if you're if you're going to have the one team that they're already champions win a four-way elimination match, particularly their heels, you do it, and then you debut someone new, don't you? Yeah, isn't, yeah. That, isn't, isn't, isn't that the idea? Otherwise, you, this is the match you change the titles on. Um, and then nothing happened. And then we, like, Possibly the low point of the show, and there were a few. The video that aired after this match, what the fuck was that? Oh, we'll get to, we'll get to it. <laughs> what? Just, ugh, quite, quite simply. Um, I know we have a lot of, uh, a lot of our fellow contributors are big fans of tag team wrestling. If they are still fans of tag team wrestling after watching this, then I've got the patience of a saint. I was going to say, Craig was meant to be on this show. I don't think he'd have saved this. I don't think he'd have saved this. We'll give him a couple of hours to him, see if he can watch lyrical about this one at some point. But this was diabolical. Cowboys against farmers, against people who like keeping fit, against 70s throwbacks who like watching the Partridge family is that kind of what we're talking about here um, please take my money um, this was just appalling and it didn't even it didn't even have the natural ending I say all of them just you know fucking off would have been an ending I would have been happy with but I thought the Godwins were at least going to win here I mean do you put the heels over again I mean where do you go with the smoking guns being the champion Okay, where'd you go with the Godwins being the champion? I admit, it's... Uh... Imagine a match where the Godwins winning is better than what happened. That's what we've come to. And so, te- technically, well, there wasn't really much going on, so you can't really give this... Put- I don't, I, I'm with you, Bob. I don't think this will be in the worst match of the year stakes, probably because I just want to forget about it. It wasn't even funny bad. It was just awful. Emphasising on your second biggest pay-per-view of the year how utterly bereft your tag team division is and they have to look at this seriously just get the belts off the guns I don't know what they can do for them but what other tag teams are there I mean the smoking guns they could be the champions forever which is a a rather sobering thought (laughs) I love sobering thoughts it was them that got me drinking Um, we've now got some fantastic post-match stuff coming up here Um, one bit in the ring and one bit on VT uh, Sonny grabs the mic after a no doubt unintentional camera shot of her knickers and she announces our winners she rags on fat out of shape women in the audience so she is going to give us a generous gift it turns out to be a huge centrefold picture of her uh, which we see in front of the hard camera I would say it's somewhere between PG and TV 14 level so use your imagination JR thinks she needs a trip to the woodshed I, that's one way of putting it Jim <laughs> 
<laughs> Take a syllable, maybe. Uh, then we cut back to, I believe, Bob, this is what you were talking about. We then get footage, and I swear, if you haven't seen it, I'm not making this up. We get footage of a race to the arena between the Godwins in a rapid train and the smoking guns, who, of course, are in a horse-driven cart. The Godwins get to the arena first. I have written in my notes, what the hell was the point of that? <laughs> Any ideas, Bob? <laughs> well, <laughs> after the oh. Exactly! That was, that was my <laughs> big problem. Like, forget how stupid the whole thing was. And forget, like, who gives a fuck? But why did every fall the match, at least? Yeah, like, exactly. I, Exactly. <laughs> but but what like a race to the arena? Like how how would a horse and cart possibly be a train? <laughs> like what's it like? Oh, I I I I don't know. Nobody knows. But I, the I, fact I, that they were in a horse and cart rather than just on horses, you know, made them even look more, even more ridiculous. <laughs> you know, the smoking guns at least put them just on horses, you know, on horseback. And then just cut to them arriving late. But the fact that they were in a, a horse and car should the, um, <laughs> the the uh, Godwin family have been on tractors? Yep, that's exact. That's exactly what I put in my notes underneath here. <laughs> what would, what would, what's their gimmick? Why would they be in a train? And what were the smoking guns? What were they going to do in a horse-driven cart? Were they going to try and you know ram the train off the rails? <laughs> It, it was it was more interesting than the match. Oh yeah, it was at all. I think we've we've actually done the we've almost done the impossible here. We've actually managed to find some humour in WWF comedy. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose in that respect we have to give him some grudging props. But oh my goodness, and that's not all from this VT. We see Jerry Lawler playing some baseball with the Cleveland Indians. He wants to know how to throw the spitball. The Indians tell him that's an illegal throw. Oh naughty, naughty Lawler! And because of that, he has, he's punished by sitting up in the cheap seats during the. Cleveland Indians match later. What a bad, bad man he is. Rather funnily, we then get to see various superstars, both faces and heels, covering up a graffitied wall. And I've written down here, I would love to know what it actually said. <laughs> <laughs> I could think of a few things. And just to, just to, just to cap this ludicrous bit of VT, another direct quote from um, uh, Todd Pettinger for you. Uh, during one of the uh, fan conventions, I believe this was, and I quote, The Undertaker and Paul Bearer give away a funeral. Ooh, me first. They <laughs> <laughs> should have got, like, celebrating me, won it? <laughs> <laughs> and guess what, mate? You get your prize now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, can we talk about a match now? Yes, um, we, we, we might be a while, but yeah, yeah. It, 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 um, we can. I, I, I can't bring myself to comment on any of this. Just, just draw your own conclusions, listeners, please. As... Uh, well, the next match is Sid versus a British Bulldog, but uh, you take what you can in this world. Uh, we hear Royal Britannia as David Boy is, uh, is on his way. Uh, for those keeping the score, he is actually announced as being from Manchester this time. And again, no Jim Cornette. Uh, Doc interviews Sid, who just shouts incoherently, but everybody loves him for it. He eventually comes out and the crowd bay for him. He helpfully tells us the microphone to the camera, but two men enter, one man survives. And we are in with Sid versus the British Bulldog. The bell rings to a big USA chant. David gets knocked out by a big clothesline, followed by a body slam. He nips outside for a breather, while Sid milks the crowd again, the big ham. Uh, back in with a standing side headlock. A very long standing side headlock. A very, very long standing side headlock. A uh, sort of power slam, then gets two that looked a bit awkward. Davy's excellent vertical suplex follows. Clarence Mason is here once again. And now it's Davy's turn to hit the chin lock. Uh, Sid gets clotheslined out as we, we again see a picture in picture of Vader warming up for his title much later. Uh, a front suplex onto the ropes uh, also gets a two count. Uh, yet more chin locks. 
Sid rallies with a corner charge, but he tries again and misses. Uh, Davey hits the running power slam, but uh, he doesn't go for the cover, because he's distracted by Jim Cornette, who has come out at ringside to berate Clarence Mason. Uh, after that, he decides to hit another power slam, but Sid, of course, gets out of it, pushes him into the buckles, hits a choke slam, hits a huge, and I mean huge, power bomb, and that gets the three. Steve? I've got a real soft spot for Big Sid, I've got to, I've got to say, but he shouldn't be in matches that go beyond sort of three minutes. You know, he should just be in sort of squash matches, really. Um, luckily, Smith gets this, you know, I'm not even going to say reasonable... Smith managed to get a match out of him. Um, you know, he does all the heavy li- lifting, uh, quite literally at, at some points. Um, but it's all about Sid, the big comeback, the choke slam, and as you said, the huge power bomb, and the crowd just absolutely love him. Uh, a bit of a come down for, for Smith, considering, you know, he's sort of recently been challenging for, for the title not long ago. But I don't think it's going to harm him too much. This was all about Sid, and then about Cam Cornet and as we said before, you know, Clarence Mason and what's happening there with, with David Boy and Owen Hart and stuff like that. But I've, as I say, got a big soft spot for Sid. The match was awful, but it could have been a lot worse. Luckily, he was in there with David Boy. Bob? Well, the best match on the show so far. Um, I didn't hate this. Um, it wasn't very good. It wasn't very long. Um, but I, I like big guys wrestling. Um, Davey Boy is just about good enough to get a just about serviceable enough six with its match out of Sid. Um, and I quite admire the choke slam and then the power bomb. Um, so yeah, just about enough going for it. Um, that's pretty much it, isn't it? It was exactly, if this had been even five seconds longer, I think it would have been too long. We just got enough of everything from these guys that I think we want to see. Uh, but the, the sheer staggering overness of Sid is almost worth an extra point in its own right. It's, I mean, I know you guys tried to try to come to terms with it last month and you, you had a pretty damn good stab at it. Uh, I've been thinking ever since I watched this event, just, they just love the bloody guy. <laughs> he's just an absolute cheer magnet. And he's got two moves. It wasn't quite on the level of last month. No, possibly not, but... um, He got Hero's reaction on Raw last month. He didn't get Hero's reaction okay, when he came out. I'll, I'll give you that, but... um, And I suppose he did have to encourage the mummer to cheer this time, but cheer they did when he did. Um, the crowd still love him. Um, and I would imagine he's going to be moving up the card with a clean win like this. Uh, I'm with you, Steve. I'm a bit worried about Bulldog, though. I mean, two months ago... Uh, well, uh, in both the May and June pay-per-views, he was, he was main eventing for the title against Shawn Michaels, and this was part of a main event storyline as well. And here he's uh, he's losing to Sid uh, in six minutes in the middle of the card uh, on the Battle Royal, which Ahmed Johnson won on Raw a couple of weeks ago. He was the first man eliminated. He was eliminated by a punch, a punch by Ahmed after 30 seconds. So his stock is pretty low at at, uh, at this point, um, which is worrying. I know he's. Uh, time of recording, I don't think he's quite sorted out his uh, his contract situation, which might explain why he's getting rid of him kicking at the moment. Um, but uh, still a fine worker, still does what he needs to in the ring. And uh, Sid got the win that everybody wanted him to. So we can move on without too many complaints with a match that was serviceable. It was never going to be anything other but serviceable, but was flat steamboat compared to what we've had so far. <laughs> Um, we're now going to move to Wildman Mark Mero versus Goldust and we get some footage from superstars of Mankind spooking out Sable calling her Mommy 
Uh, we get a brief inter- interview with Mero telling us that for Goldust, it is time to put up or shut up. Very importantly, JR tells us we might see a new move from Mark Mero today, and it's called The Wild Thing. Uh, while my Mark Mero versus Goldust, then, uh, our standard fare to start until Mero hits a few arm drags. He tries to get the crowd going, and he is met with absolute crickets. Clubbering rights from Goldust until Mero hits a rolling press for two, then holds onto an arm bar, as if we haven't seen enough of those today already. This also goes on for a long time, and the crowd do not give a stuff. Goldust hits that weird flat-back flat punch thing he does, and then Mero gets backdropped over the top rope. Goldust punches Mero off the apron onto the guardrail, and he slams him down on it. I'm back in the ring with a clothesline, then Mankind staggers down to ringside. Sable freaks out as Mankind puts the moves on her, again calling her mommy. Mankind is then blocked off by officials and he runs off back down the highway. Back to the ring with Goldust dominating with what I will charitably call methodical offence. Mero rallies with a flying butt bump off the second rope. A diving clothesline and knee lift look nice, but still, nobody cares. They barely come alive the crowd for a ten punch in the corner. Uh, Mero, um, for the want of something better to do, Goldust just knocked out of the ring and Mero hits a cannonball. That looked nice. Back in the ring for a top rope leg drop and a body slam. Now, here we go. Mark Merrow goes up top. Briefly, the crowd are actually interested, and he hits a shooting star press. A very nice one, and uh, the commentary team tell us that that will be the wild thing. So that gets the win, right? No, because the ref is distracted by Marlena, because reasons, and so when eventually Yami comes around to make the pin, it only gets two. Merrow then hits a power slam for two. Then, out of nowhere, Goldust sort of, sort of push Merrow to the buckles and hits a curtain call. And that gets the three count. Oh, uh, what? Afterwards, Sable tends to Mero. Then Goldust gets on all fours and he starts to do some beckoning to Sable. He goes to kiss her, I think. Then Mero recovers and sends him out of the ring with a drop kick. Um, Steve, if you're going to promote a match, broadly speaking, based on the fact that we are going to see a big move, why the hell does that big move not finish the thing? <laughs> well, the, I mean, you say it was a, it was it was quite a nice move, you know. It was, Star it was, nice. was good. I, I, I think it was made. Uh, it looked a lot better because it was in the WWF ring, I think, mm-hmm. as well. But the minute he didn't get the pin on that, you knew he wasn't going to win the match. You just yeah. thought, well, what is happening here now? And as you say, Jim, you know, good old JR sort of built it up in the um, before the match started. Um, bizarre, really, really strange, because up until that point, you know. Mero hadn't really done much wrong, you know. If it's sloppy, you know, but it just didn't make any sense. And as you say, you know, they, they made a big deal about this move. It's the first time I think we've seen it in the WWF ring. Um, bizarre, strange. He has definitely done a shooting star press as Johnny B. Bad. At the top of my head, I, I think he did it in that uh, that terrific half an hour match with Brian Pillman back at Four Brawl last year. But I can't think of any other occurrence of anybody in the WWF has actually done this, so. Yeah, I was glad to see it, but it's got to win the match, surely, Bob. Yeah, they're all getting this top rope move thing wrong, aren't they? Um, yeah, we see it with Two Cold Scorpio and ECW. We're seeing it more and more with the Cruiserweight division in WCW, uh, and we're starting to see it here. Like I, I don't get it. Like you know, Randy Savage went to the top with his elbow drop and won the match. When Vader goes to the top with his moonsault, if he hits it, he wins the match. Um, you know what? <laughs> Wrestling is dangerous enough as it is. Don't kill yourself going off the top rope. You're not going to win the fucking match, surely. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all right, wasn't it? Um, you know, I was kind of 
praying for the release of death when mankind came out at this stage in the show. Um, that never quite came. And yeah, like, Goldust feels flat and they, they've beaten Mero so much that he feels flat. Uh, I don't really care about either of these two. Uh, me neither. I think Mero in particular is really struggling at this point. He just hasn't got started in the WWF. Had a couple of nice matches, that great match against uh, Austin at King of the Ring, but he's just a guy with a, a very attractive wife and a couple of flashy moves. I mean, say what you will about Johnny B. Bad, and I did when I've been on WCW podcasts in the past, but at least it was something. I mean, here he's just a wild man. That's that, that's he's not, he, And he's not even that, is he? He's not, not even, he's he's not not even, even a, a wild man. He's, 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 <laughs> it's only a moustache, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> That shooting star press, it, I've, I'm, I'm, I'll say this till the cows come home. It, even, even if the commentary team hadn't made any talk about it beforehand, that's still got to win the match. I want to believe when I'm watching that high-risk manoeuvres are high-risk for a reason. Risk versus reward. Yes, you could miss it, but if you hit it, it's going to pay serious dividends, i.e. your opponent ain't kicking out. And yes, they protected it to a degree by having their ref being distracted, but come on. It was about the only thing in this match that the crowd cared about as well. It's just... The gift horse was in the mouth and they just, just looked right at it. Uh, Goldust, I agree with you, Bob. Uh, the, the bloom is coming off the rose with him, I think. Um, I'm not really sure they know what to do with him at this point. We've almost come full circle with him now. We were this time last year that he's now just Dustin Rhodes in a, in a gold jumpsuit. <clears throat> They're going to need to do something with him. If, uh... Dustin Rhodes worked better matches than these. Yes, I agree. Well, I, agree. I, I, I know they were both predominantly baby faces, but I assure you, you go through those Saturday night archives, you'd find a better match than this between these two. Agree totally, and they're both uh, they're both in danger. And with the roster being it being as it is at the moment, being fairly slim, WWF can't afford to have their I'll, I'll call them this, their mid carders as flat and meaningless as this. It's a bad, bad, bad sign. I should say the barely talk about the match. The match itself really was just there, and um, if you if you if you went for popcorn, you missed nothing. Gee, it's going well, this isn't it? Right, okay. So <laughs> uh, we then get some clips of Ahmed's interview on Raw last week, and, a, and yet another recap on the injury to his ruptured kidney. Ahmed calls the IC belt, which has now vacated the People's Title, and that he understands the decision made by Gorilla Monsoon to strip him of it. He doesn't care what the doctors say; he will come back to wrestling. There's going to be a sudden death battle royal between Sid, Austin, Goldust and Savio for the WWF title shot. That takes place on Raw the, the day after this show. Um, we kill some more time with an in-ring interview with Farouk and Sonny. He says he should be given the Intercontinental title right now. Nothing else of note. Sonny just calls Farouk the next, uh, the next WWF Intercontinental champion and what Sonny wants, Sonny gets. Video package for uh, Jerry Lawler against Jake the Snake Roberts. Oh boy. We learned that Jake, Rob, Jake the Snake Roberts' problems were so bad that he wanted to die. The counterpoint of that is Jerry Lawler cutting his awful 1950s-style gags about Jake's drinking. A terrible, terrible juxtaposition of reality and fantasy. And believe me, it gets a whole lot worse. Before the match, uh, US Olympian weightlifter Mark Henry is introduced to the crowd. You don't really care. That might have something to do with the fact that he comes out to Lex Luger's old music. <laughs> Will they never learn? <laughs> uh, Mark Henry joins us on commentary and he contributes absolutely nothing Lawler comes down to ringside brandishing a large bag over his shoulder he gets some cheap heat with a Baltimore Ravens jersey and cuts his usual yeah whatever dad promo he opens the bag which contains two bottles of Jim Beam thankfully Jake's awesome music kicks in quite quickly uh, Lawler grabs the mic again 
opens his bag, and it's a big bottle of champagne. Jake opens his. It's, of course, Revelations. He dumps them onto Lawler, who then scarpers. The bell rings, but before we get the match, Lawler grabs the mic again. He brandishes the Jim Beam as a peace offering, but the mic fails. <laughs> Small mercies. Jake punches him, and he runs him into the steps. Kicks him in the bollocks, and then slams him on the outside. Uh, after an initial flurry of interest, the crowd don't really care, because they just want to see a DDT at this point. Lawler throws a fan's drink at Jake and ties him in the ropes. He grabs the Jim Beam, but Jake kicks him away. Jake goes for the DDT, but Lawler slowly backdrops him out of it. That looked rubbish. Uh, Jake hits a short arm clothesline to set up for another DDT, uh, but uh, Lawler grabs Harvey Whippleman, the referee. Uh, this distraction allows the King to uh, grab the Jim Beam bottle, uh, jab Jake in the throat with it, hook the tights, and get the win after a long, long three count. After that absolute tripe, Lawler gets the mic again. His throat's dry. He needs a drink. He opens the Jim Beam bottle and pours it down Jake's throat. Vince calls it raw booze, which I've never heard that expression, never mind. Uh, as Lawler grabs a second bottle, Henry eventually gets up and grabs it off him. He scares Lawler back down the aisle, and this appalling charade ends with Jake Roberts dry heaving. Bob, talk to me. <laughs> oh, um... <laughs> Oh, we didn't reference the Ahmed promo. We didn't speak about it. Um, I well, I mean, I didn't understand that for a kickoff. In the sense, that I don't know why they didn't just do. Sorry, um, the Farouk promo. I don't understand why they didn't do a Farouk match against somebody else. Because yep. God knows we could have done with it. But they decided that we were going to follow a flat match between Goldust and Mark Marrow with a promo for Farouk Assad, which yep. was pretty irrelevant. And then followed that with another really long and really irrelevant promo from Lawler, and a. You know, usual shit. Like, you know, okay, no better, no worse. Um, and then a match that nobody really cares about. Um, and, and another finish that was like, what was that? Um, but my kind of only take was, it, it, who, who is more irrelevant in 1996, Lawler or Duggan? Oh my goodness me. Um, I like Duggan, but it's close. I, I think I've talked about Jim Duggan twice since I joined the podcast, and neither time have I been particularly complimentary, apart from what we will now call that promo last month. Um, for better or worse, the crowds do seem to like chanting along USA with him. Um, Lawler is... Well, that's something, I guess. It, it, it's a cheap pop, but... It's a cheap pop. But Lawler's heat is dirt cheap. It's decades out of date. I mean, he's still doing the... I hate your sport team thing. That doesn't work on television. People watching around the Western world are going to agree with you. Oh, just awful. Sorry, carry on, Bob, before I... I, I, don't, have a lot, I don't have a lot more to add, really. Um, <laughs> the match was... God, this show's a lot worse than when I remember it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, Roberts is pretty relevant in 96. I mean, I know people like him. I know he used to be over. Um... But, you know, this is the new generation, isn't it? Um, and the, the the third match on the top is, you know, two guys that were probably peaking at the end of the 70s, early 80s. Robert's only a bit later, but close. And it's third from the top on their second biggest pay-per-view of the year. <laughs> think on, think on. Steve? It's, well, things with that bad that 
the king had to start his own Burger King, king chance yes. at one point. The crowd just <laughs> were absolutely silent, and you almost felt sorry for him a little bit, where he had to sort of turn to the crowd and say, you know, don't you dare start that Burger King stuff. <laughs> All right, okay, yeah, yeah, sorry, we better start the Burger King. <laughs> it, it was that bad. Alarm it was a bells, polite Burger King chant, let's be honest. Yeah, alarm bells rang when uh, Mark Henry um, was sort of laughing at the King's jokes and commentary, I thought, oh, that's not great, is it? Um, no, this wasn't good at all. You know, Lawler's, what, 45? You know, Robert is certainly in his 40s. <sighs> you know, we've got, as he says, it's meant to be the new generation. We've got cruiserweights on WCW. We've got ECW just turning down the house now. This is not good. This is not a good, you know, advertising for what the Federation should be all about in 1996. Um, and as you say, the gags, you know, are beyond, <laughs> beyond cheap. Um, and in fact, that you know, the, the fact that he ended up with two bottles of Jim Beam when obviously one of them should have been a bottle of JD, the whole thing was just got awful, wasn't it? Booty Man, DDP, Ultimate <laughs> Warrior, Gold Dust, Steve McMichael, Joe Gomez, you boys took a hell of a beating. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, no, that, DD, that DDP no, match was no. <laughs> not just because of what I'm gonna. Again, I'm, I've used I've used the word charitably quite a lot uh, <laughs> in this hour. But I'm going to charitably call the action. It isn't just about that. It's everything this match represented. I'm all for heels getting heat, and I don't care whether or not Jake agreed to do this. You're out and out making fun is making fun out and out mocking somebody's very, very real problems in the context of a wrestling match, not just the promos, actually in the match, I think is hideous. Absolutely hideous. They did not need to go there. Now, I don't know why they're doing this, because I, I agree, Jake has got very little to offer in 1996. There's no doubt about that, none at all. But they do at least have a semblance of some kind of feel-good story they can tell with him. And unless he gets his comeuppance against Lawler here, and I've got to be honest, I don't see that happening, then this is just absolute mean-spirited, bordering on cruel. So a match which itself was awful was made a thousand times worse. And uh, I absolutely loathe this. I loathe everything I saw. I loathe everything everything it represented. Um, To try and end on a lighter note, the fact that, or slightly lighter note, the fact that Lawler thought he had a bottle of JD and it was another bottle of Jim Beam. <laughs> now, who... Okay. I've never been a road agent. I don't know exactly what their jobs are. But checking the heel has the correct bottles of drink in his bag. I'm sure that's really high up on the list of things you need to do. Surely so. you should have asked Roberts. Oh. <laughs> Bob, today, man, I tell you. I tell you. <laughs> Just let that linger. Yeah. <laughs> I think what's more scary than anything else is Jake didn't get the win, which means we're probably going to see this again. God, the finish of this match. The match wasn't so bad. I think we would have made a bigger deal out of it. Number one and two positions the worst match of the year are coming up. But yeah, so this this, this show just keeps on... If anyone's still listening at this point, this show keeps on rolling with the Mike Contender for worst match of the year. We see footage of Bob Backlund campaigning in the crowd. Um, They respond pretty much as you would expect. We then get a video package for the Boiler Room Brawl, and this is really, really well done. It plays up the fact that this goes further than even the most personal of feuds. The exact words used are beyond earthly limits. 
Undertaker's music strikes up, but it's Paul Bearer coming to the ring, and he has the urn in his hands. To win the match, you have to emerge from the boiler room and take possession of the urn. Uh, before we start, as uh, we, suggest, uh, we intimated at earlier, um, the boiler room portion of this match was actually recorded the day before the pay-per-view. It was only the in-arena stuff which took place live. Uh, I've got to say that I think the WWF did do a pretty good editing job on that, but not on something else, as we will get to very, very shortly. Uh, here is the boiler room brawl between Undertaker and Mankind. We see the Undertaker walking down a corridor and finds the door helpfully marked boiler room. He enters it and he looks around for Mankind for ages. After what feels like a lifetime, Mankind emerges from behind and whacks him with a 2 by 4 The commentary team go dead at this point, and they will remain so. And as such, I am going to eschew play-by-play for a while. Basically, and this sounds a bit glib, but it's true, they hit each other with stuff for a long time. And it's so dark, we can't even see what's happening. Now, bearing in mind what I said earlier, on our screens we get some transmission difficulties. Now, these are obviously just there for integrity preservation. The fans watching on monitors boo the fact that A, there's nothing going on in the arena, and B... They're also there for jump cuts, right? Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. Integrity preservation. They're there oh, I see. Right. Cl- cl- you, you can tell just by watching it, there are at least four or five very obvious edits taking, on, taking place here, and that's what they were doing. That's what they were in there for. Uh, I think the fans knew that. The fans definitely knew they weren't, weren't seeing anything, and they were very pissed off, and it gets worse. When we get back, we see Mankind blinding Undertaker by letting off a gas valve. Undertaker recovers, but the screen goes darker. What is happening? I think somebody then gets hit with a pipe shot right to the balls. The crowd go, ooh, anyway. So what else could it be? Uh, Mankind definitely hits a running knee uh, with, uh, with the Undertaker prepped against the metal door. Slightly, uh, shortly after this, we then get some crowd applause, which I think is unconnected to the match. Uh, did Vince buy around? I don't know. Um, Mankind climbs a staircase, then sort of hits an elbow from about 10 feet. It was more of a flat arm, really. He's dominating with very boring offence and my interest is starting to wane. Yet more transmission difficulties and the crowd really get on its case this time. After what feels like a couple of centuries, we cut back to Mankind setting up a ladder with Undertaker laying on the floor. Undertaker recovers, shakes the ladder and Mankind falls onto some boxes. Now, the ladder actually clearly got stuck in the ceiling, so his planned fall didn't happen. Um, This wasn't broken, he landed... Halfway on the boxes, and his entire bottom half hit the concrete floor. His fall wasn't broken. His pelvis somehow wasn't. I have no idea how. It's just horrible, sickening. Undertaker nears the door, but Mankind recovers and belts him in the knee. Mankind crawls to the door. Undertaker hits back with a fire extinguisher. He just about gets out the door, but Mankind drags him back in. Mankind shuts the door, then crawls away and gets out. He tries to barricade the door, but Undertaker powers his way through. We now see them brawling down through the locker room walkway as various mid-carders look on. To nobody in particular, Steve Austin shouts, Kick his ass! <laughs> we needed that as well. JR helpfully compares this to a prison riot. Mankind pulls a coffee machine onto Undertaker, because, hey, why the hell not? And they now make it to the arena. Hello Cleveland, hello Cleveland. Rather than running for the urn, he waits for the Undertaker. He walks into a clothesline and the crowd give a very relieved pop that they are seeing some live action. The two brawl down the aisleway, inching closer and closer to the ring, and they eventually make it to the apron. Undertaker gets his face rammed into it, and then Mankind pulls back the protective mass. Mankind actually hits a pile driver onto the concrete. 
Uh, he crawls to the ring, but Undertaker recovers quickly and grabs his ankle. They then battle on the apron. Undertaker jars the ropes, and a mankind takes a nesty plunge head first onto the concrete, landing fully on the back of his bonds. Jesus Christ. Whilst I retaste my lunch, Undertaker gets in the ring. He gets down on one knee, but Paul Bearer isn't giving him the urn. He's just turned his back on the Undertaker. Mankind gets in the ring, again recovering pretty quickly, and applies the mandible claw. Paul Bearer starts to laugh and is then seen polishing the urn. Another mandible claw, and then Bearer slaps the Undertaker over and over. Mankind lays in some big and very stiff-looking kicks to the head. Undertaker still manages to inch towards Bearer. He crawls up towards him, gets a waist height, and then Bearer cracks him over the head with the urn. He hands it to Mankind, and Mankind is the winner. The two leave together as Paul Bearer has just turned heel. He turns to the camera and says, I'm Paul Bearer, and you're not. The Undertaker is in the ring, and he is out of it. After a few uh, seconds, a Gregorian chant kicks in. Yes, really. And um, some droids appear. They then carry the Undertaker's lifeless body out of the arena. Well, you don't see these things every day, Bob. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll give us that, but hang on, what did we just see? Well, I mean, I, I did spend a good portion of this match trying to work out how WCW would really overcomplicate it. Like, you know, it'd be a boiler room brawl, where they start in the boiler room brawl, made their way back down the ring, made their way back to the boiler room, and they got something from the boiler room, and then it was a race to the ring. Like, I can imagine something like that. Um, there was enough novelty in this match. There was enough, oh, we're in a boiler room kind of feeling going on to probably mass the car, the stages in the matches that weren't really going anywhere. There were some nice set pieces. The boiler room, I thought, was a bit overly static. Now, I must admit, I thought that, and within about 30 seconds, Mankind did discharge a, uh, a gas valve in Undertaker's face, which is quite nice. But I kind of thought for a boiler room brawl, they perhaps should have done a little bit more, in that, you know, I was wondering... You know, for a boiler room, shouldn't it have been really, really hot? And they didn't ever really tell that story, which was one kind of point. Um, we've also got Mankind trying to kill himself. There is that, um, which is, you know, pretty predictable these days. Um, and, yeah, my main takeaway from the match, you know, we'll come to the baritone in a bit, I'm sure. My main takeaway from the match, other than the quite comical screw-up with the cameraman between the edit from the day before and the edit live where they had a cameraman basically by the boiler room door in the corridor and then between that the pre-tape shot and when they shot through into the corridor from outside live the cameraman disappeared that wasn't ideal but I think my favourite part of the match was when when they got out of the corridor and they started walking they started wandering from the into the main corridor along towards the ring and they looked like two pissheads on a night out <laughs> they were just staggering from side to side as like these crowds of WWF wrestlers were like cheering them along um yeah <sighs> enough going for it where I can't be too critical but it wasn't great I think we just worked out what ha- happened to the stray bottle of uh, Jack Daniels uh, Steve what do you reckon <laughs> Uh, well, I've been really into this feud uh, so far, and this uh, this sort of boiler room brawl into the match, into the ring, very much 
you know, a, a match of two halves. I didn't really enjoy the boiler room stuff, but I really enjoyed the stuff that was happening in the arena. Um, and I think if we would have got a bit more in the arena, um, it, it could have been a lot better. The, the stuff in the boiler room didn't work for, for, for a lot of reasons. Yeah, there were a couple of nice set pieces, but it seemed to be so far removed from... Um, you know, well, literally so far removed from the arena that the crowd just really went into it. I thought it was quite jarring the fact that we had virtually no commentary. In fact, I would have preferred no commentary, but what we got instead was just ooze and oof and ah and little sort of noises from from Vincent and, and from Jr. Um, it would have been better with no commentary then if you were going to do that, but that really removed it. But once we got into the arena, I thought the brawl was pretty good. Um, there was you know, Foley coming off that apron onto the concrete. I mean, jeez. All right, it's not the, the the highest height in the world, but you're coming down with some weight on the back of his head. And Foley cannot possibly have a walk in ten years' time doing this. He can can't, he? Can, you know, if he keeps it up. And to be honest, when when he first signed for the WWF, I thought. Great, they're not. He's got to tone it down. He's, but in, if anything, he's 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 got worse. And I mean, you know, if if he continues on this trajectory, then as you say, he's not going to be able to walk in ten years. The guy. Um, but I really liked it. It was nice and it was stiff and it seemed realistic and it, it was a bit too realistic actually. But it was really really good. And um, I thought the ending was a bit drawn out, but was great and was a really interesting twist. Um, for for a, for a load of reasons for the for, for the reason of the match, for what it now means for mankind's character, for what it now means for Taker and his character going forward, um, I'm really really intrigued now to see what happens next. If this match had been written for, say, a comic book, I think it would have been one of the greatest things ever. The story that they wanted to tell that uh, Undertaker was stepping into mankind's own personal dwelling a place he's never been before where he has no idea what's coming mankind lives in a boiler room he knows what to do in there they could have told an amazing story however the characters of Undertaker and mankind are played by human beings and professional wrestling actually takes place in the in the real world so the boiler room element can only be 10 or 15 minutes of people hitting each other with things which may or may not actually hurt. The uh, stigma that that kept on the match did damage my enjoyment of it quite a lot. Any mystique that there might have been was heftily eaten into there, which is a pity because they, uh, best they could, they, they did beat four or five shades of each other out during this, it must be said. But it got wearing very, very quickly because in a practical sense, and you have to book to your audience, in a practical sense, there's only so many things you can actually do without it looking too hokey and too ridiculous, plus mankind trying to kill himself. And from a very practical point of view, if I was a paying fan, I would have been seriously pissed off. I just, I, I know these, this is a hot feud, as, as you rightly say, Steve. It's been going on for a long time. They come up with something very different for them, which is good. And yet 15 minutes of it take place in something which was recorded the day before. And I'm just watching it on a big monitor. And uh, to make matters worse, you keep putting in uh, transmission difficulties to hide edits. I mean, 
as a paying punter, I'd be mad as hell for that. Yes, it really did pick up when they got back to the ring. What, what, are you, as a paying punter, are you that bothered by the, the edits? Not, not necessarily the edits, because, as I say, as I said in the... Uh, uh, when I was doing the blurb, it is integrity preservation, making it look as good as it can. I don't have a problem with that. But it was so long, though. I mean, it went, it went if, too if, long. If they were, yeah, if, if they were making edits, or they were making edits, and they were piecing it together and stuff, but the the interference, or whatever you want to call it, the, you know, the, 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 sort of the tracking or whatever, got just went on for, for yeah. so long. It didn't make any sense, really, that why it had to be. That, that long and I think that's probably what pissed the audience off like, come on exactly. you know we, we can barely see what's happening there's one now, thing to remember here sorry Steve go on well you know we can barely see what's happening anyway on these you know a couple of CRT monitors that you've you've rolled out at ringside um, but now you're feeding us this sort of transmission error for I mean it probably didn't even last a minute but it felt like three minutes you know um, yeah I can see why the why, why people would, would be pissed off Damn it, Bob yeah, well, I mean, Steve essentially made the point I was going to make, but but just I mean, think about this: you you, you had Sid and Bulldog, which had a decent bit of crowd reaction. That was about an hour ago. Since then, we had Goldust and Mark Marrow that nobody cared about. An interview with Farouk Assad that nobody cared about. A promo from Joe Lawler that nobody really cared about. A match against Jay Rolls that nobody really cared about. And then twenty minutes of a boiler room brawl that, if you're in the front four or five rows, you'll maybe able to watch on TV. And if you're in a good angle on the video wall you're probably able to watch but I would wager that you know because that's the thing like to, to, to get the boiler room across they had to strike this nice balance between enough lighting where you could see it but enough lack of lighting that looked real I can't imagine if you're sat in 60-70% of the arena you particularly were able to see what was going on and this just took forever that I think really impacted from an in ring from a in person perspective would really impacted on your enjoyment of it. Yes, I think Bob. When uh, earlier when you were talking about would WCW overrag the pudding somewhat, and starting off in the ring and heading back down to the boiler room and coming back. You know what? I think I'd almost have preferred that at this point. I, I think they'd have put the boiler room on the aisleway. That would have been that would have been hokey, but it would have been fine. That would have been okay if they could wow. start like concession stands. Could, could they not have maybe peppered it through the show? You know, you think of the Goldust Piper back at WrestleMania. Yeah, uh, they sort of you know they, they they put it in between a couple of the matches, and you know, all right, that was I mean, you know, it was a bit sort of hokey, wasn't it? But they put it in between the matches, and then and then they spilled out, sorry, spilled into the arena, and then we got the match. Would that have worked a bit better? Maybe we just seen sort of bits and pieces of, of the of the brawl throughout the match. Would that have worked? Yeah, I reckon throughout the event. Sorry, sorry. Because um, I think that would also get over the fact that these two just can't be contained. The uh, the standard boundaries of a professional wrestling match are far uh, are far too great for the hatred that these two feel for each other. So a situation where they're just going all over the, the arena, we keep cutting back to them. Okay, it's been done before, but uh, I, I would have had less problem with that. I was, I was really trying to believe the boiler room portions, but I just couldn't because as something as prosaic as the fact I couldn't see what was going on, and when I could see what was going on, it was two big men semi gingerly hitting each other with things. Uh, the story was there, but the execution wasn't, and. It's a pity. It's it's not the fault of uh, the two competitors. And so when it got to the ring, it did get better. And I, we need to talk about this. Uh, Steve, um, Paul Bearer turning heel. Right decision? Wrong decision? What do you think? 
Uh, I thought it was good. Yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, I, I, it wasn't executed absolutely perfectly as, as maybe... I, I don't know, better maybe, you know, just... Dra- it just it felt... It, it dragged out a bit long. Um, but what they wanted to achieve, and you've already mentioned, you know, they wanted to tell this story, and they didn't quite reach the, the story and the level, but... Um, I think it's a really good move because, you know, Taker's been around now for, you know, some, what, five, six years now. Um, I think he needs a refresh. Uh, quite what the refresh might be, I don't know. Um, I mean, I can take or leave better. You know, I don't think he adds anything to to uh, Mankind's act, but it would be interesting to see what he does and and, and where the feud goes from here now that mankind's got the upper hand in in the storyline pair, but you know he's got sort of control of the air and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I didn't have a problem with it, and I thought it worked really well in the story um, because as I said, as I say, I've loved this feud. I think it's been a great feud. Boiler room bit aside, I still thought it was a great um, match up when we got into the ring and into the arena. Um, but yeah, thumbs up from me. Bob, your thoughts on uh, evil Paul Bearer? Yeah, um, a good time to do it. Execution was passable, not great. Um, Barra throws a nice work kick, uh, I'll say that. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I think it's, it's a good move to prolong the feud. It's a good move. I think it's one of those turns that seems to, be, yeah, obviously a turn of a manager, uh, actually seems to benefit both guys. Um, so yeah, fine enough of this, I would say. Um, Yes, I am still in two minds to be perfectly honest about how they executed the turn. It was because the crowd, the crowd knew that Bearer had turned heel before he actually, long before he'd actually weighed in the um, uh, weighed in with the urn shot. I suppose in a way, rather than just doing a an out of nowhere swerve by just belting the Undertaker with the urn without any pre prep, um, it's slightly less vertical as realistic. But they did, they did. Egg it just a tiny bit too much with him starting to laugh and polishing the urn. It made it look slightly more comical than it needed to be. And this is somebody turning on the Undertaker. Make no mistake. But uh, that, 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 that's a small uh, that's, a, that's a small complaint. I still think uh, I think it adds a lot to everybody involved. My only real concern. I'm just going to jump ahead very slightly here. Is um you'll hear it a bit later on in the show. Paul Bearer's uh, heel promo on Raw was was not very good. Um, the explanation was poor, in my opinion. Um, I won't spoil it all for you now, but it was as if it was almost your bog standard turning on your tag team partner, um, heel promo. It might as well have been, I don't know, um, Rick Martel walking away from Tito Santana or something. It was a little more than just the old, oh, you've held me back, now I'm with somebody else who's going to fire me on, da di da di da di da Now, this is an otherworldly event. The Undertaker sits outside these boundaries. You know, you've got to give me a reason to care. You've got to tell me why. And also, this is um, taken into uh, employment territory. What's Paul Bearer actually going to do now? Because if he's not working for somebody who's in a funeral home, is he going to have to change his name? <laughs> These things need to be considered. Unless mankind's going to get a job at a funeral directors. Oh, I'm thinking about this far too much, aren't I, really? So just, just, just briefly, guys. So, um, Bob, just quickly to you. Um, would you put this down, if it's the whole Boiler and Brawl match, would you always put it down as Brave Folly? How do you mean? Do you think that Dave, the WWF, deserves some credit for giving us this, even though, in the end, the execution probably beat them? 
Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to build this feud out probably for a few more months. Um, it, rather than seeing three bog-standard Undertaker Mankind matches, yeah, I'd go with it. It had just about enough going for it where I think it worked. Yeah, Steve? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I say, the, the, the bit in the arena I, I prefer. But um, the fact that they did something different, you've got to say, yeah, you know, fair enough, they, um, they, they did something that we've certainly not seen before executed this way in, in the WWF. Um, the fact that it was pre-taped makes you think it could have been a bit better. Um, but, yeah, you know, something different and it extends the feud. And, 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 and as Bob says, you know, we, we're not just going to get to see, you know, three or four of the same matches. They've tried to do something different. Yeah, they really tried. I, mean, I, I applaud them for that. It goes back to the video package before the match saying this isn't just your bog standard professional wrestling feud and as such this isn't your bog standard professional wrestling match. So we, we, for the last few minutes we've talked about all the problems with it and I think they're all entirely justified but, you know, Icarus and all that, aim for the sun, not always going to get there, going to get your wings burnt but they tried. And I am, I must be said, I'm very interested especially with um, Paul Bearer switching, seeing where, where this goes next because um, we haven't seen the last of this feud. And you know what? I'm very pleased with that because for all the flaws, they've really got something with these two guys. Right, we're approaching main event time and we cut back to Doc Hendricks interviewing Vader and Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette tells us that Shawn Michaels' voice will, and I quote, sound like Peter Frampton's electronic kazoo. You're only 20 years out of date there, Jim. <laughs> Vader stops to ringside and throws the steel steps around. Whisper it, but this is starting to finally feel like a big match. Sean's music kicks in. A young lady jumps the barricade to hug him. JR says this. It's 2.30 in the morning in the UK, but I guarantee those folks have had one hell of a wake-up call. Gee, we bloody need it, Jim. Right then, here we go. WWF title match main event. Shawn Michaels versus Vader. Vader poses to booze, and we lock up. Vader gets the better of Sean with some big strikes. Sean catches Vader's boots, hits a drag and screw leg whip, followed by a drop kick to the now-prone Vader. He kicks him in the face and hammers away while still on his knees. Um, Vader gets dodged over the top rope, that's the best way to describe it, with a shit cam. Uh, Shawman hits a baseball slide, then absolutely flies over the top rope with an amazing crossbody. Astounding airtime on that one. He scares off Jim Cornette, yes really, and we head back into the ring with a double axe handle. The story here is that he has to keep Vader grounded to have any chance of winning, which is simple but brilliant. He then hits a beautiful Rana as Vader tries to pick him up. Then, in a contender for one of my favourite moves of the year, Michaels leaps onto Vader's shoulders and then victory rolls him over the top rope. In the same movement, he skins the cat back in. Beautiful. Michaels then flips into a head scissors over the ropes, but this time Vader catches him and power bombs him on the mats. Vader picks up the groggy Michaels on his shoulders, walks him up the steps, and then just sort of dumps him in the ring, which was a little weird. Vader's now in control with some more huge punches in the corner, followed by a fantastic-looking suplex and some very stiff strikes to the chest. Uh, Sean gets Irish whipped to the outside. Back in for a huge back body drop. Uh, Vader goes for a back suplex, but Sean flips it onto his feet. He attempts a slugfest, but loses easily. Again, simple but brilliant storytelling. Um, Sean tries punches again, and again loses. Vader hauls Sean up after going for a... Um, uh, well, Sean tries to skin the cat again after we fall near the ropes. Vader hauls him up over his shoulders and again flings him down to the mat for our first pinfall attempt at the match, actually, and gets two. 
Vader's rubbishy looking sleeper thing kicks in just to kill some time which is, I, I really, it is that sort of thing where he just holds the shoulder it doesn't look good but the crowd were into Michaels trying to battle out of it and battle out of it he does with a diving knee to the bollocks um, Vader then goes for a sit down splash but he gets another shot to the balls clothesline knocks Vader down okay now he gets this very very interesting exchange Shawn Michaels goes up for an elbow drop with Vader lying on the ground however Sean twists in midair and lands on his feet. He then stomps away on Vader. Sean loses his cool and his character and very audibly shouts, move, move at Vader. I believe the original plan here was for Sean to go, go for an elbow drop and miss. But Vader, for whatever reason, didn't move. Sean quickly, to his credit, realised that. But again, he let his temper get the better of him. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Uh, a crossbody sends both men out and after a short while, Vader picks Sean up and throws him neck first onto the guardrail. Vader gets in the ring, and the bell rings, and Vader wins by count out. That's our first portion of this contest. Steve, up to this point, what do you think? Uh, this was really good, yeah. Um, Vader's looked looked really, really good. Um, I like the fact that we... I was expecting Vader, basically, to dominate the match, and we'd get a big comeback. I like the fact that it went back and forth. I like the fact that Michaels was holding his own. Um, the storytelling was, was really, really good. Um, yeah, noticeably, you know, Michaels um, didn't didn't do, or, or I should say, Vader didn't do what Michaels wanted wanted him to do, and he lost his cool a bit. But um, he was able to salvage it, and I don't think many people would have really noticed what was going on. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was it was really good storytelling, and it wasn't what I expected. To be fair, I just thought they would, would, would dominate him, and we'd get the big comeback, um, and then we get the um, you know we, we we get what we think is the end of the match, um, and up until that point, it's been really good, and I want more. What are your thoughts so far? It felt like a really great classical piece of music played in just the wrong key. <laughs> felt like a a really gigantic match that just had something wrong with it um in the sense that you might look at it on the surface and go why isn't this a yeah why isn't this a huge match and not that it was far off but it was far enough off um i also kind of felt it was a bit too back and forth i kind of felt the money would have been in beta just beating the living shit out of sean and then sean fighting back it kind of felt a bit like every time Vader looked like he might get ahead, Sean would cut him off. Um, still pretty good, though. But, yeah, a couple of things wrong with it. Yeah, I, I shall uh, elaborate on all of those uh, when we go through the rest of the match. So Vader has won by countout. His music starts, but Cornette grabs the mic, telling us that he doesn't want it like that because we came here to win the title. He tells Sean to get back in and the ref to start the match again because we want a winner. Sean gets led away, but Cornette continues to taunt him. Sean decides, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to come back to the ring. Uh, Howard Finkel tells us the match will continue and the crowd love that. Vader gets straight on to Sean. Um, the referee gets distracted by Jose Lothario then Cornet whacks Sean with the racket. Uh, Vader hits the Vader attack followed by a big belly-to-belly. Sean outs at about 2.7 on that one. Uh, Vader goes for a powerbomb. Sean punches his way out of it and knocks Vader to his feet. He hits the big forearm followed by the kip-up and the crowd are really feeling it. This time he hits the elbow off the top rope. He tunes up the band, but Cornette grabs his foot. While he's doing that, he throws in the racket. 
Uh, Sean grabs it and starts whacking, whacking Vader with the racket. Justifiably so, says Vince. Nice. He then belts corner with it, and the bell is gone. It's a DQ win for Vader. Do you know where this one's going? <laughs> Cornet grabs the mic and he says, well, Jim, we've had a lovely day, but we're going to let somebody else have a go. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He asks for the match to restart. I double-dog dare you, you stinking coward. Unsurprisingly, the match does restart um, to much less crowd reaction this time, I must say. So we're back for the third time with Sean hitting a diving punch, followed by an elbow off the top rope. Once again, he tunes out the band and switching music is on its way. And this time he hits it. We get one, we get two... And Vader kicks out of Sweet Chin Music. The crowd lose their minds at that because this is history. Right here, right now, this is history. Bloody heck fire. Vader recovers and he throws Sean into Hefner who gets bumped. Vader hits a big power bomb followed by a bridging pin. Uh, Mike Kyoto comes in for one, two, and Sean kicks out at 2.9. And now the crowd are going absolutely berserk. Vader drags Sean's limp body to the ropes and he's going to go for the Vader bomb. He sets up for it. But Cornet is telling him to go to the top rope. Jim Ross gets on commentary and says, that only means one thing. And if he means Shawn Michaels is obviously going to move, then I'm sad to say that he's right. The crowd again kind of saw that coming and the, the moment is slightly gone. Yes, Vader only hits the canvas whilst going for the, going for the moonsault. Shawn <sighs> recovers and ascends the ropes and hits his own moonsault press. Kind of, sort of. He rolls up into the cover and gets one, he gets two. And he gets three. Shawn Michaels retains the WWF title. He gets given the belt as Mr. Perfect on commentary offers to get in there and knock him out myself. Uh, HBK gets his hand raised, allowing himself a very, very real-looking smirk. And we are done. Bob, your thoughts on all of that? New finishes, watch finishes, and all. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I feel at the expense of a really, really good match, they decide to book a pretty good set of stuff. Um, in the, you know, this whole kind of build has really lacked the drama and the, you know, it's really lacked the edge that this, this match really could have been their biggest match of the year, probably since WrestleMania, certainly. Um, you might argue in some slam main event it is, but it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like they quite got the build of Vader. I don't feel like they quite got the build of this feud right either. Um, uh, that being said, at the expense of a, a great Michaels and Vader match, and we might get that down the road. Um, I like Vader kicking out switching music. Um, I liked the you know bit with the false finish with Vader pinning Sean. Um, or the near, the near finish and I liked the bit where Vader set Sean for the Vader bomb and Cornette says go up one more I felt like that made perfect sense in the moment in that it was exactly the kind of thing that Cornette should say because he's his manager tactician almost and it was exactly the kind of mistake that cost Vader the match and I think that makes a lot of sense too I thought they wrote a very good ending to this match I just feel like it kind of came at the expense of a really really good match um, so uh, two pretty big thumbs up rather than huge thumbs up Stephen Bob as you say we might get another a really good match down the road and that's what it felt like to me this felt like the start of a feud <clears throat> rather than which it, sh- it shouldn't have been because, as you rightly say, this is the main event at SummerSlam. This is this is the second biggest pay per view that, that, that the federation do. Um, this should have been, you know, 
the the end of the feud or, or you know it wasn't it felt at like the beginning but that being said I loved it and I, and I really really um, hope that we get to see these two go at it again on pay per view because I, I don't think it was overbooked I I liked everything about it as but not as the end of the feud if, if that's it you know if, if this was if, if this was sort of the third time the rubber match then yeah but it wasn't so I really bought into it and uh, I just hope that we do see it again I love this quite frankly um, I thought the storytelling was as close to perfect as you were going to get, going to get from WWF main event style Shawn Michaels knew that the only way he was going to try to beat Vader was to use his own quickness, his own agility, his own speed, and to keep Vader on the ground. Unlike certain other people in certain other organisations, who I won't mention now because I'm far too kind, he didn't just go out there and have his standard match and let the other person work around it, whoever can I mean. He wrestled his... Well, I wouldn't say wrestled a completely different style. He was still unrecognisably Shawn Michaels. Yes, he skinned the cat. Yes, he did all the all the dancing and prancing when he was when he was on and Vader was down on the ground. Yes, of course he did that. We want to see that. But everything he did was appropriate for the match. And I do agree with you to some degree, Bob. Perhaps it was a little bit too 50-50 at times. I would like to have seen, in the early going, for the first three or four minutes, I'd perhaps like to have seen Vader really dominate. And then Sean's... Um, tactics would then come into play and think, oh, hang on a minute, he's, he's hammering me here. I've got to try and get this guy on the ground or it's going to be over in six or seven minutes. So I probably would have done it that way, but I thought the storytelling and the work and these two, some of the sequences they managed to pull off were breathtaking. If you haven't seen it, the uh, victory roll into a skin the cat, watch that now and watch it back and forth. I did not like the multi-booking. That seemed to me like an olive branch to Vader to say that Sean's going over in this one at the end of the day. So we're going to give you two judgment call victories. Yes, we're going to let you kick out a switch in music. We're either going to give you a visual pin on that powerbomb. We're going to give you those because you ain't winning the title today, mate. And the way that we tend to look at, look at things on this podcast, it seemed a little too obviously that to me. And it did, as we say too often on these, in this place at times, I must say, took me out of the moment and unlike you Bob I didn't like the very finish just go for the Vader bomb go for the Vader bomb you're going to beat him you know it's don't get caught up in the moment one of one of your favourite matches Bob I know we talk about it a lot and rightly so Spring Stampede 94 Vader against the boss Vader hits the Vader bomb in that one but the boss kicks out then Vader goes for the moonsault he hits it and then he wins so I can I can I can see what they were doing, and it did ratchet up a little bit of tension, but I knew what, they, what was happening, the crowd knew what was happening, and it did take me out of it, plus about Sean, unfortunately, nearly botched a finish as well. I think it was supposed to be a rolling moonsault press, but he didn't quite get it right, he sort of hit Vader and sort of bounced off him, so it didn't really look like a super finish, and it's a shame, because I love the storytelling, which at their best, only the WWF can do, and these two worked really bloody hard in there despite Sean's little tantrum and it's just a shame I just hope that in the future with Vader getting the visual pins etc and the two wins this has to set a rematch down the road and I do hope we get it uh, but one more on this it's a very simple question it goes to you Bob 
Should Vader have won the title here? Ha <laughs> That was exactly the point I was going to make now. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I might have done it. Um, uh, you know, they, they, you know, in a sense that they kind of almost told the story that that would have made it work. Sean hits the super kick, Vader kicks out. Sean gets desperate, Vader wins. You get a new champion, you get Vader on top, and then you've got a fresh set of matchups. Um, and you can, you know, you could almost, almost, if you like, go from Sean to Vader. Sean can't beat Vader, and then have Brett come back and beat Vader, and then go back to Brett and Sean. There's an interesting little triangle you could have worked there. Um, but yeah, because I, you know, I, I suspect the answer is going to be more matches against Vader, but I don't know that there's many opponents for Sean right now that they're teasing the Mankind thing, but I suspect Mankind's going to be intertwined with Undertaker to one degree or another for the next few months. Um, yeah, I'd have strongly considered it. Steve, how about it? Do you think plans changed? Do you think it was considered Ooh. and with uh, Arman uh, Ahmed? I doubt show? it. Do you I think that might have changed things? All I will say on that, I'm gonna. All I will say on that is the Ahmed Johnson match for on the nineteenth of nineteenth uh, of August Raw. Now I don't think I don't think that they would have thrown away a huge babyface match between him and Shawn Michaels on a Raw. Right? I think that's something you really build up to. Sean's, uh, Sean, uh, Ahmed's first title shot against the newly crowned heel champ Vader, where it just comes up short on television. Yeah, I can kind of see that happening. I'm projecting. Yeah, but you, you, don't, you don't not give the title to Vader just because you haven't got a Raw main event. No, no, I'm, I'm, I say, I'm, 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 I'm really putting this out there, because I, I, I don't think I don't think the plan was for Vader to win the title here. I don't think it was. I'm just if they really were going to have Ahmed v Sean on Raw was their original plan, then okay, yes, I know SummerSlam isn't Raw, but they obviously with Raw being book, uh, being recorded so far ahead, they obviously had that one or the that was obviously the plans they had. So I don't know. Sorry, Steve, we we cut you off there. So. Do, do, yeah, do you think Vader should have won the title? We could sit debating for a long time whether he was going to, <laughs> should he have? Yeah, I think he should have done. I think, yeah, you know, as for for all the reasons that Bob said, um, whether or not, you know, we, we can debate and debate whether or not he, he would have done if, if circumstances had been different. But I think the time would have been right for, uh, for I think he... he He's looking good. He's looking good. He's built him and built him and built him since he's since he, he's come in. Um, was probably back in January, I think now. Um, and the time would have been right going into then the end of the year. Um, and I can't disagree with, but I think it's, it, it would be, be, be brilliant booking to have Brett come back at you know a Survivor Series um, or or even at the Rumble and to take the title from Vader. That just sort of then sticks in Michaels a bit, then doesn't it? You know, I couldn't do it. You, did it. I wouldn't want to see another Iron Man match <laughs> at next year's no. Mania, <laughs> but I'd like to see Brett and uh, uh, Michaels go at it again, um, and that would have been a really good, interesting way of doing it. We're going to be getting Sean versus Brett two at WrestleMania next year. That is, if that isn't set in stone, then I don't, nothing ever should be, as far as I'm concerned. The question is how we get there, and I think that's a fantastic story to get there. I really, really do. I never thought about that. I think that almost writes itself in a way, and it gives you months worth of television leading up there. 
I'll tell you what, if Vader took the title yesterday and Brett, just imagine the pop if Brett takes the title off Vader at, say, the Royal Rumble. Mm. Seanman wins the Rumble. Yes, it's three years in a row, but I can live with that. And then we get an ultra-hot babyface match, Sean v. Brett 2 at WrestleMania. Cool. Please, really do take my money. Jumping back a bit to the context of where we are now, I... I'm going to disagree with you. I, th- I think Sean. I think Sean was right to hold the title here. Maybe he should have actually won it um, slightly less emphatically than he did. But th- that 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 that's open for debate. I might have had him pin him off the moonsault. Yeah. That yeah. that w- that would have that would have given Vader an out in that you couldn't beat yeah. me. I, I beat myself. That would have been stronger. I, I, you know what? I'd have been okay with that. That was an excellent finish. Yep, I'm with you every step of the way. Um, Vader. He's getting there, but he still isn't quite quite hot enough yet to be that marauding heel champion that he should be and that he was in WCW. They've, they're playing catch-up with Vader quite a lot. They are getting there now, but they're still, I think, three or four months behind where they need to be with him now. Maybe that means they do this again at, um, at Survivor Series and Vader does take the title and Sean chases it for a little while until Brett comes along. I don't know, but... Sean winning the title, uh, retaining the title in storyline purposes makes sense, although uh, I just hope that the guy can actually hold it together a bit more than he can because that tantrum he threw in the match, it's not not the first time this thing has happened since he's been the champion. I do think it's getting to him. He really needs to try to rein things in a bit and not let his emotions get the better of him because it's, uh, I can understand it. The pressure's on him. His, his, His buddies aren't around. It's him people are tuning in to see, you know, that, that's going to get that's going to get to anybody. I'm, I'm not criticising him for that, but he's got to try to hold his emotions together better because otherwise, well, he could end up with a title being taken off him, and who knows what might happen. The slippery slope. He just needs to hold it together because in the ring he is without equal. So a positive to end on uh, Summerstone 1996. There, uh, Steve, your thoughts on this pay per view and this will be fun. A score rating out of ten. <laughs> well, for me, it was uh, like I said at the start of the of the podcast. It, one match stands out, and that was the main event. Uh, half of the Boiler Room Brawl stands out, and then nothing else did. Um, it wasn't, you know, considering this is meant to be the WrestleMania of the summer, the second biggest biggest uh, show that they do. It wasn't really that at all, was it? Um, it was really disappointing, actually. Um, and, and I think, you know, at the time, and I think, I think Bob said, it, you know, when you watch it at the time, it didn't actually think that bad, but on reflection, it was, um, th- there was a lot sort of wrong with, with, with the show. Um, and I'd give it a five. Bob, over to you. Don't be shy. Uh, yeah, not a lot to have. I've already said uh, three out of ten. Um, the main event's pretty good. The ballroom ball is noteworthy. Everything else is pretty abysmal. Two and a half for me, I'm afraid. Ooh. Because th- it, this is SummerSlam. This isn't, you know, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't in your house. This isn't even. WrestleFest. This is SummerSlam. It's the second biggest show of the year. Give me a reason to care about it. Don't just throw out five matches with no real rhyme or reason to them and expect your two big matches just to carry it. Um, two of the matches we saw were appallingly bad. The three three other matches were 
just about okay, but that's not enough. In very different ways, the two main events did deliver, but that's because I would expect them to. One for the spectacle, and one for the people who are actually in it. Um, that's almost not really saying very much. And you cannot treat a show like uh, a SummerSlam like this, especially when you're managing to hold it in uh, a big arena. You've got 18,000 people in there, which for a WWF pay-per-view outside WrestleMania, that is a big attendance. You know, look at the regular in your houses; they get what four, five, six thousand, if that. So you've, you've got to, when you get an audience, you've got to try to treat them to something worthy of the name, and they didn't do that. So whilst perhaps taken all solely in a vacuum, it wasn't a two and a half show. I was very, very let down by this, so SummerSlam 1996 goes in the books with a mere 2.5 out of 10. The final Raw of the month, as there is no one next week, uh, is on August the 19th, and we begin with Vince McMahon narrating a video package on the Boiler Room Brawl. He asks... Did The Undertaker expire? Our first match is the opening contest of the Intercontinental Title Tournament, interestingly pitching Owen Hart against the British Bulldog. Get interference on screen, which JR attributes to The Undertaker. Owen wins by countout after a spin kick to the outside. Afterwards, Sonny on commentary douses Bulldog with a drink, whilst claiming she tried to look, he tried to look up her skirt. Cornette emerges and very audibly calls her a slut. Vader easily beats Freddy Joe Floyd as the lights flicker. Jim Ross interviews Mankind and Paul Bearer. Bearer says he turned because he is sick and tired of being sick and tired. And tired of being abused after caring for The Undertaker. Mankind will face Shawn Michaels for the title at Mind Games. He says that in the past winning hasn't been his priority. But now he will take the chance to destroy the lives of the clique. Gregorian chant music goes up and the druids begin bring Undertaker to ringside. Bearer says it's his decaying corpse. After a while, Undertaker sits up, the heel scarper and Undertaker poses. A video package airs for the stalker. He'll hunt some prey in the WWF. We get a sudden death battle roll next between Goldust, Savio Vega, Steve Austin and Sid. Everyone gowns up on Sid to eliminate him. He responds by choke slamming everyone. Austin gets slingshotted out by Savio. Savio spin kicks Goldust but gets low bridged out when going for a charge. Goldust will face Shawn Michaels at Raw Championship Friday on September the 6th. Our main event pits HBK against Yokozuna. Yokozuna now seemingly a heel again. Cornette attacks Lothario during the match, which otherwise is won by a, short, a sweet chin music from Sean after six minutes. My question, Mr. Paul Bear, is why destroy the legacy? There it is. The death blow right there. Why? Because I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm tired of carrying the Undertaker for the last six years. Mankind has the power now. That is 
the spirit you feel. Mankind also has the mandible claw that WWF champion Shawn Michaels has felt. Yeah, Shawn the Michaels rock. has felt it on one occasion. But on September the 22nd, Watch with this. the Watch WWF this. title oh. on the line, you have a chance, mankind, to wear the gold and once again, you are the on the champion. You know, Jimmy, my body is still racked in pain from the boiler room brawl. And I love it! Oh. But you remember this, and remember it real good, since my birth, in the WWF. Winning has never been my priority. The light. What is it the was simply here? a way to create more misery my opponents. But now Paul Bearer has shown me Look, he looks that worried. by defeating Shawn Michaels and in your house for the WWF title, not only will I make Shawn Michaels the least sexy boy toy yeah. in the world. Yeah. <laughs> in one night, I will have the chance to destroy the lives of the millions of the clique all around the world. Oh, that'll be great. Could you imagine mankind with That's the WWF title? <laughs> Makes me happy. You see, it's very simple one-two plan. One. I put Shawn Michaels shoulders on the mat for a count of three and then number two I put his shoulders on a hospital bed for eternity you know what this is all about he's here he's here the Undertaker's not gone no, the, no. you can feel the presence no. of the Undertaker we can all feel the presence of the Undertaker and so can Nobody's the seen Undertaker's gone. Nobody's seen Undertaker. The Undertaker's the passed away. Oh, oh yes, he has. He's gone for eternity. A couple of discussion points before we finish up here today, um, both of which we heard in the news earlier. Uh, the first of which, the very interesting um, suggestion that uh, the WWF are going to be giving us weekly pay-per-view events in addition to their monthly pay-per-views and uh, their Raw and, I believe, Superstars uh, programs. At time of recording, they haven't yet found a cable company to carry it, and it looks like interest in the office might have cooled, but it certainly hasn't gone away completely. There's still the suggestion that as soon as next month there could be pay-per-views uh, coming up, or 9.95, I believe is the price, possibly raising to 12.95 if it all goes well. Uh, being broadcast at, at midnight on Saturday for 52 weeks a year. This uh, is a wind-up. This can't be true. <laughs> Have Wade and Dave ever lied to you, Bob? Come on. <laughs> I, well, well, I'm not saying they're emotions. If I hadn't seen such reputable sources, I would not have believed it myself. But apparently that's where we're going. And let's take it at face value. And Steve, let's let's just roll with it for now. So yeah, well, if we roll with it, then, let's, ro let's yeah. roll with it. Roll with it, and take your, roll with it and take your time. So here we go. Here's the two questions, and take these the way you want. Cool. One, um, in general, do the WWF need an hour at least 
of brand new programming at this point, and two, a weekly pay-per-views on a Saturday night. Really the way to go? Okay. I think they do need another hour of TV of raw quality, not superstars, but raw sort of quality, um, whether that's on cable or whatever they can get it on. I like the idea of a programme of an hour or whatever being on a Saturday night. I think midnight might be a bit too late, but, you know, I'm not an expert on American TV um, viewership. Um, to me, midnight seems quite late, but if that works and if they're sort of saying midnight would be good for them, then who am I it to argue? It might just be for their West Coast audience. That's so what's possibly. that, 10 o'clock or something like that, is it? Yeah. 10, 9, yeah. yeah. And if that means that they can go in a different direction or move into a slightly different direction um, as an alternative to ECW, say, then I think all that could work. There's always going to be loyal WWF fans who will watch every minute of every show and pay for every pay-per-view but how many of them there are I don't know and I don't know whether the WWF knows that would then be willing to pay every week for a pay-per-view you've mentioned the, about getting sort of the cable companies on board so if they if they don't get all the cable companies on board then obviously there isn't going to be as many houses that are going to be able to access them with these weekly pay-per-views so that harms things. I mean, again, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the numbers are going to have to be in order for them to make a profit. Um, they're going to be pre-recorded, so obviously that keeps costs down, I guess. When are they going to tape them? Um, you know, if they tape them the night before, then yeah, that's great. If they decide to or tape them as a block or something to keep costs down, then I don't think that's going to work. And you can't really tape them on the same night as you're taping a couple of Raws or a couple of Superstars because you'd like to think that it's going to try and aim to a different audience so you can't really tape them all together. Um, but I'm not against it of, of another show and I'm not against another hour of, of, of TV. Um, I just don't think there's enough people who would pay for it. Is there? I've got to be honest with you, I'm not sure I would. Uh, Bob? Oh, come on, this is a terrible idea. I mean, look, look they can't get any... They can't enough people to watch their show for free on a weekend, let alone get them paid for it. They don't have enough talent, as we've already explored. They don't have enough scope for doing this. They don't have enough scope financially for doing this. They don't have enough depth. They don't have enough storytelling you know, storytelling angles. They don't have enough stars. You know, you, if you're going to do a weekly pay-per-view, you have to sell people the main event every week. Uh, just imagine the pay-per-view that is headlined by the smoking guns and the Godwins for the tag team titles. I had that dream once. Yeah. That gets, that gets <laughs> 300 buys at $9.99 or $9.95, whatever it is. It's never going to happen. Come on. I mean, if, if they do a pay-for-you split with a cable provider, they'll have to give them, the cable company 50% of the pie. Yeah. They'll have to give them that. Like They're making $5 a, a go on 15,000 buys a week. 
like you know, it, they were, they'll lose money. It, it's never going to happen. I'd be stunned. But there's there's no there's no logical rationale. They've got no star. They've got no star depth. It just won't work. Like, it barely works now with one pay per view a month. They struggle along just about finding main events. Like you know the 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 the, the weekly pay per view number thirteen that is headlined by Savio Vega would po- possibly do one buy. That is possible. Uh, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> what about idea. what about an extra hour though of 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 just TV, not pay per view, but just TV late night? Do you think that could could uh, work? Something different if they if they did something different though. I don't think they've got enough depth. Um, I mean, it could, uh, but it'd have to be television. Pay per view is just yeah. death. If it was television, if they had a few extra guys, maybe. Steve, you tried. <laughs> but no, I'm with you, Bob. This is a simply ludicrous idea. I, I had to do a double, triple, quadruple take when I first saw this in the sheets a couple of weeks ago. Um, this is Vince, presumably Vince, panicking. And when Vince panics, he lashes out in the, in the wrong direction. They haven't got the depth for another hour on Monday nights, let alone what sounds like being in a show completely different in scope um, on a Saturday night when people are actually out, you know, living their lives. This is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. I mean, you're like, what are they going to do? I mean, I've just got the image now of um, uh, the pay-per-view buy sheet coming in. It's got one name on it. It's got Savio Vega's mom at the top. <laughs> um, if that doesn't tell you this is a stupid idea, and let's face it, that sort of thing could happen, then I don't know what will. They're clearly spooked, heftily spooked by WCW. I mean, when I gave the ratings out earlier, they're, they're being, absolutely, being absolutely tranced. So it looks like they're trying to park their tanks on ECW's lawn. No, no, you you can't you, you can't get around the enemy that way. You've just got to fight them. You've just got to fight them head to head. Improve the product you do have with your rather slim roster at the moment. Don't don't run before you can walk. They're not in a position to throw out a completely different show with a completely different mindset at this point, and they're certainly not. At the moment, uh, a hot enough company to be able to get a regular amount of people to charge them nine ninety five, twelve ninety five on a Saturday night to pay it. As I say, looking through the sheets now, just as we've gone up to recording, it looks like certainly the companies and possibly even the federation themselves have cooled on this slightly. And I sincerely hope that they just junk this idea. It would be creatively, commercially, it would be suicidal. Um, they've got to fight, fight WCW directly, so it's got us talking. But um, you know, I think for WWF, the time for talking is over. We need some serious action, and weekly pay-per-views on a Saturday night are resolutely not it. I'm afraid. Our final discussion point uh, of uh, this month is uh, somebody by the name of Brett the Hitman Hart. Um, you, you might have heard of him out there, um, Bob. It looks like, looks like terms have been agreed on his WWF return, although he hasn't signed a contract yet. WCW was still knocking around, so this is far from a done deal. But um, the WWF themselves seem fairly convinced that uh, he's going to be rejoining them, making an appearance, again, possibly as soon as uh, next month's pay-per-view. What do you, when we talked about it, you came up earlier, the possible idea about him feuding with a champion Vader, although Vader would need to win the belt first. Where do you think they 
will go? Where do you think they should go with Brett? And indeed, is he right if he has resigned to resign with the WWF? Uh, as we've said before, they need to get to Brett against Sean in the main event of WrestleMania, but they need to get there without them facing each other between now and then. Yep. And the most likely outcome is they will put Brett in a series of quite uninspiring mid-card matches and then decide that eventually, oh, we better preheat him up now it's WrestleMania season. Uh, I think it would have been better, as I said earlier, the best way to make Brett look strong is to have Vader defeat Sean then Brett can defeat Vader, and obviously that can take place over three or four months, um, and then get round to either Sean and Vader, uh, Sean and Brett at WrestleMania, or Sean, Brett, and Vader at WrestleMania. Um, you get Brett in the main event without facing Sean, and you can tell a story with Sean that involves him potentially winning the Royal Rumble again, as you say. Three in a row just about works. Um... Yeah, that's the way to do it, but I think it's much more likely that they'll bring Brett in and they'll stick him against Goldust. Oh, God, what a depressing thought, but I think you're probably right, Steve. Yeah, I can't see him going to WCW. You know, there's there's some people that just, you know, are WWF guys. There are some people that are WCW guys, and, you know, one of them is, is Brett the Hitman Hart, and, I, I, you know, I just cannot see him ever being in a, in a WCW ring. Um I'm sure Turner's money is really, really good. I'm sure that the, you know, whatever contract they give him would be, you know, very few dates for a lot of dough. Um, but I just think that Bret Hart, you know, he's a WWF guy, isn't he? Um, so I don't think there's any, any sort of danger with him signing for WCW. Um, and as you quite rightly say, it's Bret and Sean. Next year's WrestleMania, isn't it? Um, how we get there? Yeah, I, I, I have to agree with with Bob. You know that booking situation just makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Um, I think a clean match between the two of them. I wouldn't want to see another Iron Man match, although you wouldn't rule it out. You, you know because I think Vince and the Federation seem to think that that Iron Man match was like absolutely fantastic. Um, well, it just wasn't really, was it? But um, maybe if we got an Ironman match that had about sort of you know five or seven pinfalls in it, it wouldn't be too bad. But we're definitely going to get that again next year, um, and it'd be really interesting to see how we get there. Just sign Brett B. Sean to the WrestleMania right bloody now. <laughs> Just sign it. I don't. I almost don't care. Almost don't care how we get there. Just I want that in the books right now. It just beyond has to happen. Uh, the mood music to me suggests that this is as close to a done deal as you can possibly get, and Brett is coming back to a WWF. He is a WWF guy. I, for one, just cannot cannot visit him anywhere else. He's out and out synonymous with the World Wrestling Federation, uh, even more so than our current WWF champion, I would say, uh, to your average man on the street now that uh, Hogan is elsewhere. Um, they have to try to get him back, and it looks as though they've done it. Um, I sincerely hope, Bob, that you're wrong on this one and they don't uh, give Brett the 95 treatment and stick him in there with the likes of, I don't know, who is it? Well, Lafitte and bloody Isaac Yankum and all that. Kakushi as well, wasn't uh, it? Oh, that was at least a good match, but again, that was just mid... But that, that was the that was the opening well, match, wasn't it? Lawler, oh, wasn't it? That was the other one, Lawler. Oh, yes. Um, I've mentioned him enough today already. Um, <laughs> but yes, if we're going to bring... 
Brett back and they're going to build him, which sounds such a ridiculous thing to do with Bret Hart for a match at WrestleMania. Put him in there with, with what big guys you've got. Um, somebody like Austin, that would work. Or like you said earlier in the show, Steve, I would have no problem at all if they can maybe tweak the story a little bit, give us another Brett Owen match on a, on a PPV. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be all for that. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Be do you think as well, fun. though, when we do get, sorry to jump in, but when we get oh, to WrestleMania, a clean match between the two of them, or are we going to see some sort of, you know, would you, would you imagine some sort of, uh. Two hour Owen man match. <laughs> Not another one. I got to ask you a minute ago, when you were talking about five or seven, I thought you were going to say a five or seven hour Iron Man match. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't, we shouldn't give them ideas. Um, Back in it was back in April after uh, Brett left for a while. I thought that uh, at SummerSlam we would we were going to be talking about Brett v Sean two here, yeah. and uh, we weren't. More's the pity, uh, and that we're going to get with a slightly screwy finish, and we were going to get uh, a rubber match at WrestleMania with a, a virtual heel Brett. I mean, that's I don't think that's going to happen now. Um, we're going to be getting that match in uh, in seven months' time, and I'm already uh, very very excited by it. Um, but they have, they have to treat Brett. You know, they can't, they have to treat Bret Hart like Bret Hart. Don't just treat him like he's another guy. Don't let certain people maybe hold him down. Bring him in and make a big deal of him. Because let's be honest about it, WWF are really lacking major star power at this point. It's, it's Sean and then it's a bit of a drop off. Fade is probably your number two. He's already a fair way down. Okay, he's probably on a par with, with Sid right now, but it's very lopsided even then. So you've got to get Brett in and you've got to make a big deal. You've got to do it fast. And hopefully we're going to see him back doing that very, very soon indeed. Uh, maybe by this time next month, the contract will be signed, sealed, delivered, and uh, he'll be there because the WWF badly need him. And that will conclude our very lively discussion on the, the WWF here in August 1996. I'd like to thank Steve Harbourson. Steve, my man, thank you. Thanks, guys. Pleasure. You can be found on the Twitters. I certainly can. Uncredited bit part, you will see me on there. Lovely. I'm Mr. Bob Bamba. Thank you very much. Where can people find you? Do your plugs, my man. Uh, well, you're doing the rest of them, so uh, it's, it's just uh, me, at Bobby Bamba. That's our boy. I'm Rory McNamara. You can find me on Twitter on RawsDM. R-O-R... Get my name right. R-O-R-S-D-M. We are, of course, Wrestling 20 Years. You can find us on Twitter at Wrestling 20 Years. Um, also, please check out the website. There's tons and tons of content there, including my forthcoming review of SummerSlam. I know you won't want to miss that one after my effusive praise for it today. Um, you can catch us on uh, on iTunes. And if you're on iTunes, please do leave us a review. Um, what do you like? Uh, what do you want to hear more of? What do you want to hear less of? Um, your thoughts on the show format, anything at all, please put it on there, be it positive or negative. Um, they all get read. They all get paid attention to. And there's a huge, uh, a huge back catalogue of stuff on there now. We've now got, uh, going all the way back every month from, um, August 1993. Yeah, three years. Fuck. Three years we've been doing this now. I've been on the team for nine months. Uh, I have now, as of two days ago, I finally listened to the one podcast I hadn't heard before, which is the December 1993 one. <laughs> <clears throat> complete with that, a, that's a good show. It is. A, it is a very, very good show. That's a decent Starcade show. It's entirely based around one match. Made it, aren't enough? Um, that's a good show. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, I um, actually went back to watch that Flair Flair Vader match because I hadn't seen it before. Funnily enough, and uh, I thought it was awesome. I thought uh, you did an excellent job describing that one. One thing I will say, I will say for, for our listeners as well. Um, 
one thing you did do towards the end, you sort of half time machine mode and half out, which I thought was an interesting mode of um, uh, discussing things. What was that? Uh, you were talking about the state of the WCW and WWF rosters, and you were sort of talking about it in the present tense, but you're also using a phrase like, nobody thought that Steve Austin would have exploded at this point when he's in a two out of three falls match with Dustin Rose, and then he's... Uh, nobody had him down as somebody winning the title at WrestleMania five years later. Yeah, I think that was I think that was out of. Uh, it was. I think so. Yeah, it was about to turn off. He's going to record it now. But yeah, I think it was. It was just a thing that we were discussing stuff at the time, i.e., what they were doing, and then kind of looking at it versus how it turned out. I'd have to go back and listen, but that sounds about right. I don't think it was a hybrid or anything like that. I think it was just no. more us, us discussing stuff in timeline and then comparing it to to twenty. 13 at the time. For somebody who manages like me to snap into time machine mode quite scarily easily, um, that one really did stand out to me. And the the debate on the debate on the greatest fat wrestlers of all time was um, yes. quite a telling one as well. You mentioned this guy Kevin Steen. I have no idea what happened to him. <laughs> <laughs> Just think, by the time this podcast goes out, he could be a WWE champion. I doubt it, but he could be. Universal champion. Universal champion. Oh, that sounds good. Sounds good. What a no, universe. No, it doesn't. It's only, only slightly better than weekly pay-per-views in 1996. <laughs> but... He will be the Raw champion. None of this universal tripe. God almighty. Uh, maybe in 20 years' time we can discuss what we think of that as well. Yes, well, I, I was at that show. I, I was with the people who were booing that belt. Um, although largely because it was about four hours in, we were all a bit bored. Um, <laughs> No further comment. I think I think that's probably sensible. But yes, everybody, please, if you if you especially if you're new to the show, especially as we're now moving towards a time where uh, things in the industry are really really starting to hot up. Obviously, the NWO are now firing on all cylinders. We're still a good year away from um, the Attitude Era probably kicking in, but um, the methods that the WWF actually employed to take us there, not including weekly pay per views, I think are fascinating. So it's a real retelling of a history lesson for me for somebody who has actually started watching at this particular point. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Totally agree. I think it's fascinating, Steve. Yeah. I was watching it then, this time 20 years ago, as a pure fan. Me too. Now here I am watching it as live through analytical eyes. And I think it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's brilliant. I actually remember, it just goes to show, I remember I actually stayed up late to watch SummerSlam 96 as live. I even had my own little... My own little... um calling card, if you like, of match predictions that me and my friends actually came up with. I actually predicted Vader was going to win, by the way. And I put a tick in the checkbox after he won by a uh, by counter and I didn't <laughs> of course I afterwards. <laughs> so I'm watching, watching that as a pure, almost entire mark. And now watching it now for these new eyes in 20 years' time, but as live, I think it's fantastic. And I think that's one yeah. of the real things that we on this podcast bring that you don't really get to hear anywhere else. Um, there is a good reason for that, but yeah, we'll take no, it. No, 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 don't do yourself down now, Bobbers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, continue. look, if you're going to create a format, create one that nobody can copy. Ian is not any good, right? That's the... <laughs> we're in, a, we're in a, a field of our own, my friend, a field of our own. Anyway, anyway, that's enough mutual glad handling for one month, I think. Uh, I have been Rory McNamara. This has been volume one of the August 1996 Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Again, just to remind you, uh, volume 2 is in two parts uh, WCW show and uh, our volume 3 is our ECW show so check those out as well um, we'll see you all again next time I've been Rory McNamara and until said next time goodbye <laughs>